I feel like you're one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. Um, what is that like, your mindset? Uh, I, you know, I was raised by working people. My dad shot horses. My mother uh, was Portuguese and she cleaned other people's houses and, and they worked hard, man. They got up in the morning and left for work and worked all day long and came home and worked on our place. We had just a little one acre place. And so I grew up with a great work ethic, you know, raking leaves and shoeing horses and just doing that kind of stuff. So I took that to the rodeo business. I, you know, I just think, you know, the old thing about first guy there and the last one to leave and all that stuff, that's, that's how I thought about roping. And I still think about roping that way. You know, I, I had some people here today uh, at the training center and, and, you know, we were, they were wanting to let, you know, have lessons and we, I enjoy that kind of stuff. And I, we do that here at the training center, but I wanted to ride my horses. So I got up at 4.30 and saddled all my stuff and then rode five of them before they all got here and they wanted to start at eight o'clock. So it, that's how I think about it. I mean, they're not going to get any better. You know, Ray Hunt had a great thing about horses. He said that there's only three days a month that, are, that you can teach a horse something. It's only three days that they retain knowledge. But he said, you got to ride them the other 28 days so you don't miss those three. And that's exactly the way I think. Right. So meaning that you got to ride them every single day. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of the way I think. So when I work like that and I'm, and I'm practiced, then I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm prepared. I don't feel like there's anyone there that's more prepared than I am. And, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm not terrified. So how old were you when you started roping or kind of rodeoing and like getting competitive with it anyways? I, when I was 17 years old, uh, I was a senior in high school. I started school, you know, because my birthday is in November. Uh, I won $30,000 in 1973. So, I mean, if you just go back and figure out how much a new pickup cost in 1973, yeah, yeah. that was a huge amount of money. That was more money than my mom and dad made working together. And uh, it was just unbelievable how much you could win back then jackpotting because uh, Leo and Gerald Camarillo, they were the only guys, you know, and I don't want to insult anybody, but really they were the only two guys that could rope both feet consistently. There was a guy named Gary Mao that was good and, you know, but other than that, there wasn't a lot of guys that could catch both feet a lot of times in a row. But the Camarillos were off being rodeo stars and that was fine with me because they weren't at the jackpots. And, and it was before the number system. So I could win first, second, and fourth, or first and third, or, you know, I, I won almost, and all you had to do was catch. Don't throw, you know, until you know you could catch both feet. And so you could, you know, and the number system was a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, everyone that's involved in the, in, in the roping industry has benefited from numbers. <clears throat> you know, and when I was young, I basically said, oh, if you, if you're brave, just get in there. If you think you can rope, jump in there. Well, I like to play golf. But I don't want to play against Tiger Woods. I mean, maybe once or twice that would be fun. But, you know, obviously I don't have a chance. And we all want a chance when we compete. And that's what the number system did. So, you know, the number, I, it seemed like I've been in the right place at the right time my entire life. So about the time that I decided to go rodeoing, you know, then they started trying to change the jackpots a little bit. And then I took off and tried to make the NFR and do those kind of things. Right. So... 17 years old, that's a lot of money. To oh, win. it's and, great, crazy amount of money. And, and what's funny about that, like jackpotting, there, there's something that I, I heard you say, just kind of doing a little research, which I, I love this about it because 
Uh, and I'm kind of confused now because with the World Series reopens, like the finale, I don't like their payoffs. I, I personally think they front end load the top eight holes against way too high dollar fees. Right. And it, it just takes out, it just makes a lot of variables where you, like, I mean, I say right, but I don't, I don't know really what. I'm, well, you know what I mean? Right. So I, I, I'm, go, I'm going like, there's a lot of front end loaded ropens now that are high dollar fees. Like the BFI is similar. The George Strait used to be that way. Mm -hmm. And it kind of encourages guys to go for the top right. checks. Right. And I, you know, six, eight, 10 years ago, jackpotting was around Jake Barnes a lot in Arizona. And you're like, the guys that were smart in the short rounds and get you to where they're paying money and right. th that last run where you could kind of calculate throughout the run and, and figure out what you need to do. Now it seems like it's more press and try to try to win first. But with that, like that mindset of jackpotting, being one of the only guys that knew how to catch two feet, right. how did, how did you try to capitalize on that and, and just keep adding to you're roping. I was roping on my own money. <clears throat> you know, when I was roping with Jake Barnes, I, I roped with him and won Cheyenne with him and made the interfoil with him and really enjoyed roping with Jake. We were somewhere, someplace, <clears throat> and there was a guy come back, a, a young guy come back, and it was like, come back maybe third high team. And uh, the guy reached a long ways and, and missed the steer. And Jake said, that guy's not roping on his own money. Right. That's either sponsor money or that's family money. If that was his money, he wouldn't have done that. You know, and I and I it really it, that really hit home because and, and I and don't get me wrong, I think sponsors are I mean, it's wonderful. They're fantastic. That 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 did not exist when I was young. As a matter of fact, it was against the PRCA rule. A lot of guys don't even know that. You couldn't have a patch on your shirt. Really? It was against the rules of the PRCA. <laughs> so that's how much rodeo has changed. Yeah. Because the guy at the guy that drives a NASCAR, he's not changing his own oil at night. He's not putting he's not buying his tires. He's just driving the car. I mean, anymore it's so expensive that you cannot play this game alone. Right. If you're gonna rodeo and you're gonna try to make the finals, you have got to have sponsor money. You gotta have help. You gotta have a team of people that are helping you either with trucks or trailers or entry fees or fuel cards or all of the things that go into this thing because it's going to cost you, you know, seventy five or 80000 just fees and fuel. That's not with your tires. That's not with your wear and tear. That's not with the horses. You know, look at what horses cost now. You know, and if you're reaching on them and you're ducking and you're heading, I mean, you're just burning them up every couple of years. You know, and then you got to buy another $60,000 horse. So, so, I mean, it's so expensive. Without sponsorships, you can't, you can't make it. But when I was young, I didn't have anything like that. You know, so I, I was having to rope on my, own, on my own money. So sometimes maybe if I could win first, I didn't throw because I needed to win third. I had to have money. Right. And, you know. Yeah, you, start, you, you run the numbers when it's like I, what it takes to keep going. And the difference between first, second, third right. isn't that much money. No. And so. No, six money payoff, eight money payoff, no. Uh, fourth, fourth is great. Yep, exactly. So let's talk about that uh, rodeoing on your own money, because that's, that's probably the biggest challenge nowadays, is it's, it's so expensive, like we're mm -hmm. saying. Yes. 60 to 80,000 yep. in expenses before horses, which I think that's a really solid number. If you're a young guy, let's say Walt's 18 years old. Mm hmm. How you going about it? How I went about it, I lived below my means. I, I had a I had a black Ford pickup. 
and they had a gas short shortage during the the Jimmy Carter uh, you know presidency, and you couldn't buy gasoline. You could buy it, but you had to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go down and wait in line. So I had a fifty-five gallon drum that I had in the back of my pickup. And I would fill it up full of fuel. And then I had a garden hose that I would siphon it out and fill up. Leo Camarillo said I was a rolling bomb. Said I was going to blow up an overpass someday yeah. somewhere. But, but I, I didn't have enough money for a fuel tank. And a, and a guy gave me a 55-gallon, you know. And I, I went to Reno. And I had, a, I had a Miley trailer. And I had that, that black Ford pickup with a four-speed and vinyl seats. And I had a, 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 I had a cot and a sleeping bag that I would put in in my trailer, not not the nose of my trailer where the horses rode. So I would get to the rodeo, I would clean the manure out, and then I would put my cot in there and my sleeping bag. And I remember <clears throat> there's some little curtains that you know you used to be able to get on the back of a, a trailer. You could you could snap them on yeah. and put them down so the wind and the rain wouldn't blow in on your horse. But I had just got that, and I, I put my cot in there, and I put my curtains up, and I laid down on my cot, and I thought, wow, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice, because no one could see me when they rode by my trailer. You know, and now I had like a room. Yeah, th- this is uh, your idea of comfort, is no one seeing you in your stock trailer when you're sleeping. You got some privacy. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And then you could shower at the rodeo grounds. Yeah. Uh, so Most rodeos have a shower. I mean, yeah. I think I was... 29 or 30 before I owned my first living quarters. Right. So that, that's how I, I lived. And I saved, I saved everything I made. I lived below my means, saved all my money, and, and uh, that's, that's how I survived. Shod your own horses? I do. My dad was a horseshoer. I still shoe my own horses. How old are you now? Uh, 65. 65. Yep. You know when uh, one of the first times I'm like, man, this guy's hard to beat. Um, we had been rodeoing pretty good over the 24th of July. And uh, you and Jake started at PG. You got that's Pleasant Grove, Utah. Yeah, you're up the same night as us. I remember watching it. I for some reason I was up a lot, and I, I'm tired by the 24th of July. Right. And that Ogden slack, it's probably safe to say that it gets up to 100 degrees, and it's right. It's just humid right, right. there in that Wasatch Front, Utah. Right. And uh, you're outside shoeing a horse after an all-night drive, and I'm like, man. <laughs> This guy, <laughs> like I, I don't even shoe my horse. Still don't, I, right. you know. And I'm like, right. well, I grew up doing it. My dad was a great, a great horseshoer, and I grew up showing my own horses. And again, I don't mind the work. I, I really don't. And I, I, I don't know. It's got to be like my family lived forever. My, my dad's sisters are all still alive. They're like in their 90s I mean right. these people don't die they just get tired of being here on earth and they just leave <laughs> you know they're just tired of it I mean they, they live forever you know and I don't eat that well you know I mean but I'm never sick I'm never tired I can I go go on not very much sleep uh, I can work all day long I'm just I'm blessed that way do you think like you know truthfully if you were to say hey the percentage of guys that have rope for a living that's had a, a decent long career what is there any of them that have outworked you in your mind? I mean, Jake Barnes would be the only guy that could come to my mind that works as hard. Or I mean, he was a workhorse when I rode with him. That guy was, yeah. You know, we uh, I, I can't remember where we went. He he, we might have went to Pecos and he missed. I mean, he didn't miss very many, right? But he missed at Greeley and he missed at Pecos, and then we had to drive all night from Pecos to uh, Prescott. And he lived in Phoenix, uh, and so we, we got to Phoenix, and we, we had, I mean, it had been two days 
since we had slept in a bed, you know, we'd just sleeping in the back seat and wherever we could. But we got there to his place, and I think we got there about two thirty in the morning, three thirty in the morning, and he showed us all where we could actually go shower in his house and, and lay down. And we had to leave for Prescott like at seven, and he roped the dummy for three and a half hours, right? Because he had missed two or three steers in a row. And, and there was some guys with me. Like, people make up stories. There was two or three guys that was traveling with us. They'll tell you that story. That's true. That happened. The, the legend of Jake Barnes is true. I think if you've, at this point, if you've heard that story, about, any stories about Jake working hard, yeah. it, it's got to be true. No, I, he, no he, he did that. He did that. And then, and then he turned to steer. We placed at, uh, we placed at Prescott. Right. Well, I mean, if you had the dummy for three hours, yeah, you'd no. turn in that next one, <laughs> I think. No, so if there's anybody that could outwork me, he he he, he could. One one guy, yeah, Jake, one, Jake, right. Jake Lawrence, is, right, right. Is maybe the guy. <laughs> what about sleeping in your trailer? How long did you do that? It to me is there something in that? Like when you go to sleep at night and you're in your trailer, you're living with them at no, that. No, you're point. living. I'm living outdoors. I mean, yeah, you're. I'm outside. There's only one thing on your mind, and that is. I mean, you're, you gotta be hungry, right? you know, and I, I, I've done it quite a bit. I mean, I've slept I, my favorite spot was in between the truck and trailer with a, with like a bedroll. Sure. But when it, P- would, people don't rodeo like that anymore. Thank no. goodness. They don't, they don't do that. Yeah. But, it, uh, you know, it's, it's changed so much, but at that time, uh, you know, in, in the rodeo business to me, uh, it, it's the people that you meet. It's the influence that other people have on your life. It's the doors that are opened because of the rodeo business. You know, as you get older, I've had several young guys, you know, hey, do you have any advice for us? You know, do you have, you know, if you had to say something. And I said, you won't be able to win enough. Right. It's not how much you win. It's, it's the doors that are open to you because of the people that you meet in this business. You know, and I was fortunate to meet guys that had been successful in, you know, in other things in business. And I met a guy one time, and and well, his name was Bud Corwin, <clears throat> and he, him and I, uh, he was this real successful guy in California. And I said, Bud, I don't want to be old and and broke. You know, I don't want to because you know, in my generation, guys would have a great rodeo career, and then when their career got over, they would go get a job. Yeah, you, 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 there, there was not enough money. The first year I won the world championship in 1981, I cleared five thousand dollars all year long. I was the world champ. I was the best guy. Yeah, the best year. Uh, yeah, I was. Nobody won more than me, and I only had five thousand dollars. Right. So I times that by ten, and I came up with fifty thousand dollars. And I thought, well, that's not going to be enough if I'm a ten-time world champion. So immediately, I was always thinking of. You know how can I parlay this, and you know because I didn't I didn't think it was fair because the the best marble shooter in the world should be able to retire after he quit shooting marbles, you know. But that's not how the rodeo business was. It wasn't you know, and a lot of guys got bitter about that. Well, pro football or pro baseball. Why? I asked one guy not long ago. I said, Did you have a chance to play pro ball? Because I didn't. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very fast. I'm not very tall. I chose rodeo. That's what I chose. So now I gotta I gotta make the best of this business. Anyway, the guy that I met in California, I told him I said I want to end it broke, and he said, Well, if a guy's not very smart, he said you need to buy real estate. And I said, Well, what should I do? And he said, You should definitely buy real estate. And I didn't know why he accentuated definitely, but yeah. years later it kind of dawned on me why he said that to me. You know, so that's what I did. I lived below my means. I saved every dime I could. And then I bought little pieces of property. 
right. you know, little rentals and stuff that I could, you know, that I could make some money on that would, they would, you know, that would service the debt, the rent would, and then, you know, it would appreciate and I'd be able to sell it and I'd buy a bigger place. And that's, that's how I did. That's just, what I did. Just leveraging your money. Yeah. And, and from an early age too. But I, I didn't buy a fancy truck and I didn't buy a, a living quarters trailer and, you know. Liabilities. You didn't buy liabilities. Right. You know, I had a, I had an old sundowner that I, that I pulled forever. And my son always gave me trouble about that trailer because it, it was old. And we pulled into the rodeo someplace and the gate man said, Wow. He said, an 83 sundowner, he said, you don't see many of these babies around anymore. <laughs> and Travis said, that's it. That's it. You've got to sell this trailer. Yeah. You know, it was like, wow, what a classic. Yeah. You know, but it had a shower and it had a television and wow. And it had a bed and I wasn't sleeping outdoors anymore. I mean, it was proven. Wow, everything what, a, what yeah. a nice trailer. There's really an art between living, you know, within your means and then under you know being able to save money and and put it away because i think at every financial income like level we can do that it's just proper management right and right and you have to really self-evaluate um no matter who you are i think because it's like well you've got to put horses together yes and then you got to know whether you're good at training your own horses and things like that because that's like that's something you've done right is yes, you've been yes. able to train your own right. horses right right yes yeah but i was raised by a great horseman my dad was an amazing horseman my grandfather was so i grew up in that understanding how to do it yeah you, you didn't necessarily get family money you got knowledge right. that applied to the sport but, but the things you're talking about is not i think it's great to reinvest in your company rope horses yeah you know better ropes better equipment those kind of things but not a nice hat and fancy boots and better clothes and you know unless you're trying to you know impress somebody or you're you're still dating but you know i mean yeah you know i mean it's okay to invest back in your you know business but not not spending don't 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 go to del frisco's and eat you know a 250 dollar meal right you know golden corral is a great place to eat you know, I mean, for eleven dollars. Yeah, you can. You know, I can't say when I rode with uh, Adam Rose, I, I, I couldn't say senior discount fast enough, <laughs> and he would just, it was just embarrassing. He just hated. He said, "How much are you saving by saying that?" He said, "I'll give you the dollar thirty cents if you just don't say that." Don't anymore. don't say senior. Please discount. don't don't say that again. <laughs> so. Well, what about that? As far as um, you know, reinvesting in yourself. Was there times when you, obviously, the real estate. But um, were you always pretty far ahead in like the horsemanship? Was yes. that some? So that was something you kind of. That was come from my father. And you, you kind of had it. Was that probably in a big advantage? When Absolutely, you were... yeah. Because he, he told me, he said, you know, anyone can make a horse if you don't rope too many in a row on him, don't rope fast steers, and don't rope on him when he's too young. <laughs> Those are the three simple things that you can do. Right. Rope slow steers. Don't rope on him. He's too young. Get him, get him broke. Right. Don't rope too many in a row. Yeah. And just do that over and over and over day after day after day. Grind it out every day. Every day. Get him, catch him, catch him. Even if you're not going to rope on him, ride him down the road. Yeah. Do something with him. Go for a trail ride. Right. Lope him in circles. Give him a bath. Braid his mane and tail. Just handling them all the time. And pretty soon they get like dogs. You know, they just get really gentle and quiet and 
And then, you know, my dad was a fan about making a horse work out of desire. He said that you'll never have a great horse if he works out of fear. Right. He said they gotta they gotta be on your team. They gotta if you ride them over to a cattle guard, ride them up to a cattle guard and ask them to go across it. They believe in you enough to where they'll go across. Right. You know. That is maybe the hardest thing in the world to do for a huge percentage of team ropers, at least the way I see it, because there's, if you ride them every day, like you're saying, you build chemistry, yeah. right? Yes. And then as you rope on them every single day, well, you know where your horse's tendencies are, you know where they're strong, where they're weak, when they're going to score, when they're not, well, you know, whatever it is. Right. But if you've got a bunch of horses and you're trying to run a bunch of steers and build skill up for yourself roping, yeah. you get, there's a disconnect sometimes or probably a lot of times if you just get in that mode of roping for and yourself. I think I think a guy that's doing that I think you gotta have practice horses you know you yep. gotta have some horses that you bought <clears throat> that someone else has made mistakes on and you know there's 12 13 14 years old and you know the damage has been done and you know he doesn't score that great and he's wanting to widen a little bit and all that kind of stuff that horse has got a purpose and that is where you practice for you yep you know and I had a horse like that when I was young I, I, his name was Clyde right and I I, I would rope 40 a day on Clyde every day and Clyde was never crippled and he was never sick ever it's funny how those horses like the practice horses they're they're just good enough to complete the course until you like want to go somewhere then they just don't have enough punch no but they know how to conserve themselves they can run a lot of steers usually but you gotta have you know you gotta have horses that you wrote for you but you can take a young horse and you can just start piddling along with him and you can have some Holsteins or you can have some jerseys or something like that at home. And you'll be amazed at how fast two and a half years goes by or three years goes by. And you'll have an amazing young horse that's six years old. You know, and nowadays, wow, what could you price a six-year-old that would just score flat-footed and break and run up there and rate? You know, maybe you couldn't rodeo, rodeo on him, but nowadays horses are so valuable that people are willing to pay you way more than that horse is worth at that time because you've done all of that stuff. You spent the three years on him. Yep. You uh, know, I mean, that's like a savings account to me. Yeah. Um so do you enjoy the process of that? I, I love it. I love it. Listen, I set the arena record at Houston and won Houston and, and was four flat on a horse that we halter broke. Yeah. I mean, does it get better than that? No. You know, that's an amazing thing. You know, Travis, my son, is is amazing with young horses. He is. He can start and make them turn around. He went to California and he studied under, under Corey Cushing for a while. And then he brought those things back and mixed them with what he knew and what my father did and what Corey suggested. And he's amazing with them. But I'm a grinder. Once he gets them to a place that they're not, you know, they're not going to buck and they're not going to, you know, they lope around and they're broken the pole and they're just really nice, then I can take over and I can do that monotonous stuff day after day after day, you know. And I and I, I don't mind the grind. I really don't. I mean, just like tra- Travis says, there's a country song that says he takes a tractor another round and another round yeah. and another round. You know, that's how that's how I do. That is an amazing thing to think about is just naturally always being that way. I mean, was there any time early on or even now that you, like how you got to keep yourself motivated or keep going? Are you just, you just one of those guys that can get up and go the whole time? 
I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds, I mean, I think there's certain things that, that affect, you know, you during your life. <clears throat> I had a school in, I had a broken school in Sioux Center, Iowa, not, not Sioux City, Sioux Center. Okay. That's a tiny little town. And there was a young, handsome guy there. Um, his last name was Mao. I think his name was Todd Mao. And uh, he, he was spent, you spend three days with people and you kind of get to know them a little bit. Anyway, he was a nice guy. Those people in that country are, you know, farmers and ranchers and just salt of the earth people. And he told me that he was going to get married and, uh, and, and invited me to his wedding. I, he might have been 21 years old or 22 years old. And I told him, man, appreciate it, you know, and, but I you know, wouldn't be able to make it, but thanks. So anyway, I leave and never give it another thought. So about, I don't know, three or four months later, I get this phone call and they said that this kid is in the hospital in Colorado and they asked me if I would go visit him. And uh, yeah, you know, of course, I, you know, I was there, I was rodeoing all over the country and they said he was at the Craig Institute in Denver. And I did not know what the Craig Institute was. Well, the Craig Institute is not a regular hospital. It's for paraplegics and quadriplegics. And he was coming home, him and his new wife was coming home from a 4th of July celebration and out there there's no stop signs out there in the country. Right. And they came over a little hill and car met him at the intersection and hit the car, flipped it over through the mountain, broke his neck. Right. He's paralyzed from the neck down. Can't move. Yeah. So I find his room and I walk in there and he's not hurt. I mean, he's, he's really doesn't look, he's not tore up. Yeah, there's a little scratch maybe on one of his hands. I remember, but he can't move. He can he can move his eyes, you know, uh, but can't move his arms, can't move his legs. And I visit with, and he never did again. Never moved again. Uh, I think I think he got to where maybe he could, you know, lift his arms and maybe operate a motorized, uh, uh, you know, wheelchair. Right. But I visited with that guy that day, and when I left, I thought to myself, if I told him every problem that I had, everything. He, yeah, well, I mean. And when I got all done with my problems, <laughs> if I said, would you like to trade places? Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just so I could move again. Right. Just let me move. Let me be able to saddle my horse. Let me be able to, to kiss my wife and walk out the door and get dressed you know, and take a shower. I, I mean, I, I, that really had an effect on me that day, seeing that kid laying there. Yeah. I mean, he never was able to do anything again other than just live. Have you always been pretty self-aware as far as, like, sensitive to life? And, I mean, it's short. And where there's no promises. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 for some reason, I, I, I am. My dad, you couldn't make my dad cry if you drove a nail in his heart. I mean, he was just a, a hard, yeah. he was a hard man. Old school. And, and I, I cry over a good steak. I mean, I am very emotional. Right. You know, I just have always been that way. I, I, mean, I can remember, my, I found my grandfather. My grandfather didn't have a very good heart, and he died when I was like seven years old. And I, I used to go to his trailer. He had a house trailer that, that was parked on my on my parents' place and I go in there to see my granddad and he's laying there dead and I you know I'm a little kid so I call 911 and the the, the, the fire truck comes and you know they, they can't do anything for him he had, he had passed away and and so I went to the we went to the the funeral and, and I was crying and my dad told me he said you got to straighten up he said you're embarrassing our family quit crying right. he said people don't live forever you know 
dude, I'm just seven. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, cut me some slack, man. Yeah. I mean, he, but he, you know, those, those people came through a different time. Sure. You know, the, the, the depression and World War II and that, th those people weren't soft. I mean, the, you know, the Japanese had no idea who they had bombed. Yeah. No idea. It's amazing, uh, just like my generation and what, I, even myself, like what I think is hard. Right. Like about right. my hardest times, it's it's probably embarrassing to say out loud yeah, when right. I really think of it. And you, you look at generations back, I mean, it, it's getting easier and easier for us as we grow. But having clarity on how much time we have yes, and how we use it, because there's a lot of distractions now. Yeah. And really, that's, I mean, I'll... I'll go out to venture and say if there's probably team roping is one of the only sports that physically anyone can do it. Yes. I, I don't think that's true in many other professional sports. Right. Like right. There, there's some where you can see like John Daly, he can golf pretty good. Right. right he he pretty doesn't heavy. take very right. good care of himself, <laughs> but he probably ain't playing football or basketball or something like that. Absolutely. He'd probably be a 10 healer, right. but team roping's like that. So really it's up to you on if you do decide to dedicate yourself to it or if this is what you choose right. as a profession, right? And so it's like how to leverage your time. I mean, you, you're getting up at three, four in the morning just right. to get whatever you need done right. because you know what needs done that day. Yes. And you don't care about how much sleep you get. It's just, hey, this is what we need to do today. Right. We're going to do it all day long. Right. You know horses need shot whatever it is they right. need road and i think that that's what's missing like i i think that's no, really that's that's 100 percent true I, I, you know as you get older you have more responsibility and that's not an excuse it's it's priorities it's what you make a priority I know Billy and Ken Bray uh, pretty well, fairly well. We've done some things together and we've done business together, and they're they're wonderful people. I don't know Peyton that well, their son. Right. Uh, but uh, I, Logan Olson and I are friends, and Logan and and Peyton are close, and he tells me what a what an upstanding young guy he is. But you know, Logan said the other day, he said all that kid does is rope. Yeah. That's all he thinks about. He ropes all day long and then at night he watches videos of roping okay that's his priority that's yeah. what he's made his priority he's the number one guy in the world yeah and he's won the american you know and he continues to win it wasn't a fluke that he won the american i mean that kid heals outstanding yeah. amazing how good he is but that's what consumes him travis graves same thing it consumes his every thought he wants to be the world champion and it, you know, it, 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 it rubs him the wrong way that he hasn't, well, not the wrong way, the right way that he hasn't won it. And, you know, and I say, you deserve to win it. And he said, I obviously don't because I haven't won it. So, I mean, that, that just, you know, it's hard to beat a guy like that. He goes to the 12 slide. He's competing every chance he gets, you know, he's thinking about it. He's practicing. He's obsessed with it. That's what's what you got to do, man. It's uh, it's, and it fuels itself. You know, the more you put into it, the more you, if you can be in the process of things, you, you get those little wins and they keep, they yeah. keep adding to the fire. Right. Is right. that, I mean, I think that's what's so special about those guys is they can self-motivate. Yeah. They, they, you know, there's really, 
I, I don't know Luke Brown very well. Uh, I mean, he, I speak to him and say hello and that kind of stuff. But, you know, we've never done anything socially together. But that's, that, that's the way he's, they say that he is. Yeah. He said he just got tired of losing. I'm sick of losing. I am not going to rodeo all year long and not make the finals anymore. If I got to run 100 a day, I'm going to do that. You know, I mean, Gary Player said it best, you know, the great, you know, golfer. Somebody said, I wish I could play golf like you. And he said, no, you don't. The guy said, yeah, I do. And he said, no, you don't. Because if you really did, you'd hit a thousand golf balls a day. And then when your hands broke open and bled, you would tape your hands and you'd hit another thousand golf balls. Because I'm not, any spe- I'm not more special than anyone else. My right. dedication is just, that's how, what I think it's going to take. That's amazing. I, I... I think that's really the secret sauce. <laughs> I know it is. And it's it's hard because when you lay that out, it sounds real simple when we talk about it. Right. But it's like every single day, we you know, if you're watching on Cowboy Channel or some of the ropings that we show or wherever it's at, you get a kind of the highlight reel of a Peyton Bray or yeah. someone like that. But what you've missed is where he's at right now. Or right. Where he's at tomorrow yes like there's no cameras no nothing and they're going at it and really at the end of the day they're trading their life for this skill right and the, the very i heard a quote one time said the very thing that will make you great will also make you lonely yeah you know that's a that's a great quote it really is yeah so this is something that always eats at me a little bit and i i love to rope i'm I'm probably, I'm probably one of those guys that's kind of rope forever. Uh, but I also like other things. Like right. I, I want to live life. I want to enjoy my family. I want to be able to travel or do some things for myself. I, I just want to experience the world, I guess, or, you know, what right. different things. And you have to trade that off. You have to trade relationships off with friends, family, all of it, right? Right. So that's, I think that's the big thing is you've got to be willing to give up everything for that one thing, right? 100%. Yeah. I almost said when you were saying that, and when you get all done with that stuff and you really want to make the NFR, you'll stop traveling and you'll stop doing all those things, yep. you know, and you will just live roping. That's all you'll think about. You'll study film at night. You'll have your practices videoed. You'll have two practice horses. You'll have young horses coming up. You'll have two or three really good horses. You'll go to every event you can possibly get to. You'll have, yeah, that, that you'll just be consumed by it. You know, now I don't know how long a guy could do that. You know what I mean? Whether, okay, I'm going to do it for two years or I'm going to do it three years. When, when I won the championship the last time in 07, I, I was absolutely physically and mentally drained. Yeah. I, 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 it was one of the strangest things that's ever happened. I told my family, but going into the NFR, I said, when it's, when it's over, when this is over, we'll go to Hawaii. We, had a, we have some friends of ours in Maui, and they had this wonderful place that we could stay, and it was absolutely beautiful, and we'll go there. And, uh, and after it was over, they had the champion's breakfast that morning and got all the cool stuff and got on a plane and flew to Maui, and I never got out of bed for two days. You're right. I stayed in bed for two days. I could not, I could not wake up. I couldn't get up. I couldn't wake up. I would get up and I would use the restroom. I would get a drink and go right back to bed. I was completely give out. Well, I mean, everything physically and emotionally all summer long. Right. It, people say, oh, it must be hard to rodeo and do that. And I have a, a decent amount of experience doing it. Not right. Right. Nothing like what you've done. Right. And I know 
Yeah. I just, you, it's hard to keep going. You, you want to sleep. You just are so right. tired. Like every, every summer I say, Hey, I'm going to take my podcasting equipment out there and I'm going to do some podcasts while we're rodeoing and I'm, right. I'm going to do all, you know, we're going to talk to these guys. No. no, every time I get in the truck, I just want to sleep. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, combined with that prepping for the NFR, which, you know, your expectations are winning the world title. Right. And that what's different too is, you know, you're at the spot where you've made it enough to the finals. Right. Like you're like Travis Graves, his mindset is a little different than basically that those guys that have made the, that are just trying to make the finals. Right. If you told Travis Graves or someone like that right now, Hey, you're just going to make the finals this year. Yeah. And you could be, you don't have to do anything. He'd, he'd say no. He'd, he'd, he'd jump off a cliff. Yeah. He'd say, hey, I'm, go, I'm going for first <laughs> right. in the world standings right. and I'll do whatever it takes. And he should. He should. He's, yeah. he's, he's as, as good as anybody in the world. He's amazing. Yeah, I agree. He's one of my favorite all time healers. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. And I would love to see him win a world title because yeah. he, I mean, well, he's won everything. Uh, right? There's about four or five other guys that don't want to see him win a world championship. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're doing everything in their power yeah. to do that. Right. And, but you've hit that level. And then that 10 days, it's everything you got, right? Yeah. It's everything you got emotionally, physically, like you're, you're trying to bring out your very best. And what is that like going into those last, cause you and Sherwood had, did you win the world the first no, time? No, he won it. He, he won he, it the first in time. In 06, he won the championship, and I was runner-up. I won second. Right. And then the next year, I, I won it with Clay Tryon. And Chad Masters won it. He didn't win it. He won second. That's right. But I almost did it in 06, too. But um, one of the things that I tell people, and I, I talk about this at the clinics, is that, and I try to, when we talk about pressure, I told people, I said, put yourself in this position you've rodeoed all year long, you know, I've had a great year. Obviously you're doing fantastic to make the NFR and then to have a chance to win the championship, to be up in the top, you know, two or three anymore. You don't, you know, you can come from 15th, but yeah. it's obviously, you know, a lot better if you're up there higher. But then after nine steers, after nine go rounds, it's obvious what has to happen. If I catch one more steer by both feet, I'm the world champ. Yeah. And I got 24 hours to think about that. 24 hours <laughs> that's a long 24 hours alone in a motel room and it's really funny when you get to doing really well and you you've experienced this when you're sitting good at a jackpot people stop talking to you they avoid you they see you coming and they'll ride yeah. around you because nobody wants to mess you up you know you're in a zone and you're doing your deal and nobody wants to you know say anything to you you know, they might be pulling for you or hate you, but they're going to leave you alone right. and, and see how this plays out. Well, that's how it gets to the NFR. When you get close to the buckle, it's like you're, just like you're a drop of, of oil and pepper. It's just everybody just parts around you and nobody says anything to you. But during those 24 hours, what I thought about is mechanics, fundamentals. Right. You know, because I have great belief in the way that I rope. Yeah. I understand roping. I've done it since I've been eight years old. I, I think I know... I understand my roping 100%. I know what makes me catch and yeah. why I miss. So during those 24 hours, I just thought about that. And I thought, well, it worked over the 4th of July. I had a great August. It worked in September. It worked on the other nine steers. Why won't it work one more time? Right. And that's not rah-rah stuff. That's tr that's truth. That's meat that's, and potatoes. That's truth. Yep. And so when I thought that way, that's a peaceful thing. And because... 
If you thought one more stair by both feet, it would be too big. It would, it would be overwhelming. No one could do that because all of your life, you've dreamed about being world champ. Yeah. And now, you have, now you're one stair away. If you thought about that, you, you, you might throw it in a grandstand. Well, I mean, for anyone thinking about it, it's like any jackpot, whatever the highest paying jackpot that you've ever been to, most money you've ever been up, Right. then you say, hey, short round, we're going to start that tomorrow. Yeah. And then <laughs> everyone in the world that is team roping and knows roping is going to watch. Right. And you know that. Right. And, and that's what you got to deal with for 24 hours. Sure. So mentally, you have, you have to be mentally strong. You can't, you can't be weak. Yeah. And you, your mind goes to the process, yes. the, the process and not, not the, your process, yes. right? Your yes. fundamentals, yep. you've, the craft that you've practiced your entire life. And is that something, is there times where you have a mental lapse that help you realize that you need to pull that in or how do you build your mind to that point? Well, I, I think that it's, you know, when, when you have a mental lapse, it's because it's not, you know, I, I really dislike jogging. I don't like running. I, I, I dislike that. Yeah. I, I would rather build a mile of fence than I would to get up before daylight and run. Sure. But when I was winning, you know, you know, in, you know, when I came back and started competing again in 05, 06, 07, you know, I'm great and all that stuff that I won. You know, I won the BFI and I won the U.S. Open and won the World Championship and, you know, won 110,000 at the NFR. I was running two and a half miles every morning before daylight. I was doing a workout thing every single morning. And while I ran, because I hate it so much, I thought about roping. I thought about where I needed to be going down the arena. I thought about swing speed. I thought about focus on the steer. Anything I could possibly think of other than my lungs burning, yeah, you know, and my legs getting tired, you know, anything to keep my mind off of what I was doing. So I think that is what your focus does, what, what helps your focus. You know, um, jogging's pretty interesting to me. I, I did this a couple of days ago. Um, I just needed to blow off some steam, so I went for a run, and there's... I combined it with a couple different exercises, but the whole goal was to lose my breath and to find a spot where all I could think about was breathing. And then if you do that for about 30 to 45 minutes, right. you find this really unique spot where you get this clarity, right? Your mind kind of gets to this and you can see things clear and there's not so much clutter in your mind. Right. And I hate running. I, I do too. I hate it. And... I don't really I'm thankful that I can. Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't. I, they they talk about this euphoria that you get when you run. All I got was hate. Yeah, I, I never got euphoria. Maybe when you're done. Maybe when you're done. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you consider like do you have a chip on your shoulder? Kind of like, uh, I mean, it, it, let's just say you you run two and a half miles before right. daylight, right? And then you're looking at these other kids getting up out of their living quarters trailers or whatever it is, and You've already got two and a half hours of roping on your mind, right? There, no, that, that you, you just feel like you're you feel like you have an advantage. You, you really do. You know, yeah. you you hope that guys are still sleeping. You yeah. hope that they start late. You hope that they're starting at ten o'clock and not getting up early, and not putting the work in. You know, I, I just I mean, you hope that. But listen, 
about the time that you think you're, you know, you're out working, guys. I, it was a great story. Rich Skelton said that he wanted, to, he wanted to get better at his tripping. And so he called Trevor Brazil and told him that he wanted to get better. And Trevor said, come on up and I'll help you. Right. So Rich Skelton said he went to Tre- Trevor's and uh, Trevor said, hey, let's team up first. So he said they, they, Trevor headed 20 and then he wanted to heal 20. And so Tre- Rich headed for him. And then he said he, he wanted to, uh, they, they did some breakaway and then they tied left-handed and right-handed on the sled. And then Trevor wanted to rope calves. So Rich untied the calves and Trevor did some of that. And then he said they, they after that, he said they tied some steers down. <laughs> And he said, after about four or five days of that, Rich Skelton told Trevor, he said, you know what? I just thought I wanted to get better at tripping. Yeah. I, really, I really don't. I'm just looking for a couple <laughs> tips. Just, like so when, when you think you have a good work ethic, you need to get around a guy like that. Clay Tryon is the same thing. When I rope with him, I mean, that guy works at it, man. He practices every single day. He, he worked at it. Yeah. You know, you go over there to rope at his place. The steers are in. The arena's drug. He's got his horses saddled up. Steers are up. Wraps are on. You know, he doesn't visit very much, you know, when you practice. You know, we get done, same time tomorrow. Yep, see ya. Thanks. Out. And I think that's what it, the guys that have long careers, and like I, I told this to Clay at the open showdown a couple of days ago. I was like, man, I've, and I've said it on a few podcasts. I'm like, I, you keep thinking he's going to, his body's not going to hold up, right? right? I mean, he's he's headed at a right. high level for twenty five plus years. There's headers that were not alive when he was, sure, you know, heading competitively, and for him to get there and stay there, there's obviously you've got to be able to have this consistent grind and this work ethic that you know it's that that's what you that's what you got to do that i I think that people spend a lot of time looking at the guy that gets up at 10 o'clock in the morning you're obviously going to beat that guy yeah he's easy yeah focus on clay tryon focus on you know on on wesley thorpe yeah focus on travis grace focus on trevor brazil you know, those guys are who you got to beat. You know, Jake Barnes, you know, those are the guys that you got to you got to beat. You know, and you're not outworking those guys. You might work with them, you know, but you're not going to outwork those guys. Right. You know, they're 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 grinders, man. How old were you when you discovered that aspect of it? Um, working with them, working. I, I, honestly, I never thought that I was very gifted with a rope. Like naturally, I, 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 you know, I would see guys do tricks and catch the head. Yeah. You know, that was amazing to me. Right. That, you know, I can manufacture tricks if I practiced them over and over and over. You know, like I, I, I made a decision one time. I was a good student, but I decided that I would get straight A's when I was in high school. I was going to get straight A's for a semester. And, and I did it. I, I got, you know, some A minuses, but I, I made the honor. I, I did. I got straight A's. And what I found out was that I'm not that smart. Right. The only way I got straight A's is I would just lock myself in my room and I would just read the chapters over and over and over because the pop quizzes was killing me. Yeah. They would pop a quiz on me on Tuesday and it would kill me. I wasn't ready. And then I, after I read the chapter 14 times, I would sit there at my desk and I would dare them. I dare you to give me a pop quiz, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and I felt the same way about roping. I was not, you know, if someone is possibly gifted at roping, that was not me, but I felt like that I could outwork you. Right. I would just practice it, 
so many times that I would get it. When you took a break from roping, how long was that? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. When you come back to it, I mean, that is a long time. Did you rope? You, I mean, you. you I, I you did. Stayed? I roped and competed, but I did roping schools. That's what I did for those yep. ten years, you know, and and uh, did some stuff with my family and raised my son and you know those kind of things. But if I get a certain thing in my brain, if something comes into my mind. And, and what came into my mind was, well, the, the, the challenge, and usually this doesn't bother me, what someone says to me. I, I, I don't really, you know, I mean, there's a, a great saying that says that, that dogs bark at trains, you know, but nothing stops them. They right. just keep right on rolling. So let the dogs bark at the train. doesn't matter. You know, so usually I don't listen to barking dogs. I just, I have a mission. I know what it's going to take. And when people say, oh, you can't do that, literally what I believe they're saying is that they don't believe they can do that. Right. But they have no idea what is in my makeup. They, they don't know how hard I'm going to work at it. So they have no idea if I can make it. What they're saying is they can't make it. And I truly believe they can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> they convince me that they can't make it, but I can't. I'm going to do that. But um, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Uh, you're talking about coming back. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so anyway, I, I, Clay O'Brien was still winning, and Alan Bach was still winning. And I could rope. I roped with those guys. I roped against them, and they didn't embarrass me. I won, and I prospered against both of those guys. Not that they weren't amazing ropers, but they were still winning. I mean, if I would have decided to come back, and those guys were finishing 50th, probably wouldn't have wouldn't have came back but the, the thing that happened a guy came to me and he said that I should I should send an apology letter to all of the people that I had ever taught to rope because I was teaching such an outdated style and usually nothing like that dogs bark at trains usually that doesn't bother me something right. like that wouldn't bother me but it must have I must have had some self-doubt about you know what I was teaching. Am I am I teaching an outdated method? Do I have I been inactive for so long that I'm I've become a legend in my own mind? You know of teaching people how to rope. Yeah. So that really kind of struck a nerve with me, and I thought, let's see. Right. Let's see if you know is he right? Is it? First of all, who would say that to someone? Yeah, right. I mean, right. what a horrible thing to say. Yeah, kind of an asshole. Thing <laughs> right, to say. right, absolutely. But, you know, it, it got to me, it bothered me, it, you know, and so I thought, well, let's see. But those two guys were still winning. Those two guys were still winning. And at one time, I could rope as good as they could. Right. So I thought, I'm, I'm going after those guys. How old were you? In uh, I was 50. 50. And I also wanted to say if a 50 year old man could win, could make the NFR. That's what I came back to do. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't plan. And I would like to say, well, I decided to be the world's champion. No, in order to be the world's champion, you got to be lucky. You, you, you got to be tremendously mounted. You got to rope at the very top of your game and the dominoes have got to fall in your favor. Yeah. I mean, the year before that Al Bach beat me in 06, he would be 4-8, and that night in the go-round, 4-8 would win fourth. Right. And the next night, the next night, I would be 4-8, and it would finish 13th. Yep. 
You know, I mean, it, 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 not that he's not a, a tremendously talented guy. He is. But things go that way, and you can, you know, you've watched the NFR. I mean, it goes that way. Yeah, you, you have to be prepared. And yes. you have to be able to compete because there's so many variables. It's just like you you're saying earlier about a pop quiz. Like right. That's basically what healing at a high level or heading at a high level really is. You're going to get a pop quiz right. every time you go compete because right. you don't know what steer you got, how your partner's going to do, what kind of shot you're going to get. So you got to be ready for it all, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in, in 07, there was, there was a steer in there. You know, at the NFR, there's three pins of steers. There's a big pin that goes night one, four, seven, and ten. Right. And they rope one pin four times. And there was a steer in there that was horrible. He was huge. He was big. And, you know, they can only cut so many cattle out of there. But they left him in. They put him in the big pin, in the strong pin. Steer ran hard. He had big horns. He was taller than the rest. And he'd come out and go to the right. Yeah. I never dreamed. Right. Never got him. I didn't get him in the first go round. I didn't get him in the fourth go round. I didn't get him in the seventh go round. Well, now you can't have the same steer. You know, nobody can draw the same steer twice at the NFR. So now I've, the chances of me getting him, right? Yeah. I mean, it's now, now I got, that's, it's, I should, nope, didn't get him. Right. You know, and I, I seen him in the pen that night when I went over there. I was in the alley and I seen him. I thought, boy, I feel sorry for the guy that got him. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me though. You know, what if I had drawn that steer? You know, I mean, it, it went my way. Yeah. But you got to have some racing luck, man. It's got to it's gotta go your way. Well, and yeah, and that, that's I think that's the thing is for guys that win multiple world titles and, and can compete at that high level for so long. Right. It's a true that, that That's always seems to me that that's amazing because I, I couldn't do that. I could make the NFR, but I couldn't, you know, after working that hard and I made an 07, you know, I told, I told Clay Tron, I said, I'm out of gas. I, I can't, I, you got to get somebody else. I am tired. I need a break. I, in 08, I said, I'm, I'm give out. Yeah. You know, he said, man, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I mean, tell Clay Tron that. I mean, what a great opportunity. But I mean, I was giving it all I could, but I just could not heal him. You know, I wasn't motivated. I was tired. I was run down. And we won the BFI. You know, in in '08, and uh, and then after that, I struggled. I still struggled. You know, I pulled it off and, and was able to win that. But I, I, you know, so somebody that wins that thing year after year after year and stays motivated. You know, I I don't Clay I don't know if Clay O'Brien remembers saying this, but I asked him one time. I said, how, how how do you do that year after year? And he said, I don't want anybody else to have it. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever it takes, man. Yeah, I mean. You got to have these little things sure. that you can kind of dig up to right. keep to kind of keep you going. Yeah. Or, or better yet, you got to have peace of mind when it's time to take a break. Yeah. And come back to it because then there's no regret and just like when you come back, I mean, you're you're craving it. Right. And you you've got something that you want to prove to yourself. Sure. And so getting that world title is that I mean that has to be one of the best feelings for as far as roping career. Is that is that the top moment, or is it Houston, or what's the no, best? No, it's the World Championship, and I think the reason that the World Title is is so prestigious in my mind is because you got to be good at Salinas, you got to be good at Nampa, Idaho, yeah. you got to win at Spanish Fork. Spanish Fork is not like Cheyenne. No, you know you got to be three eight yeah. at the- Spanish, and then you got to be nine eight at you know Cheyenne. You know, so you got to be good on long scores and short scores. And then you go to Prescott, and both guys come from the right side of the box. 
And then you go to Salinas, and both guys come from the left side of the box. You know? yeah. And then there's four foot under. And then there's 40 foot head start. It's just, it's so many different kinds. Then you go to Pendleton, and you're roping on grass. You know, and you go to Florida, and you, you don't know anyone down there, and it's like you've never seen any. You know, it's just, that's what makes it so good. When, after you win the World Championship, it no longer matters what else you won. You know, it doesn't matter if you won Denver or North Platte or, you know, right. Cheyenne or San Antonio. Nothing else matters anymore. You are your world champion. Yeah, I mean, I had never looked at it like that, but in 30 days, you're coming out of both boxes. Yeah. You're going from 3-8 at Spanish to probably the next day or two yes. at Cheyenne, and it's that's pretty close to, like, doctoring them. Right. And you've been in Salinas the week before that. Probably drove all night from Salinas to run one at Spanish Four. Right. I mean, it's, and you know, you're both coming out of the head. And there's just times where it's like, you're you're a cowboy. You yeah. know, Salinas and Cheyenne, you're a cowboy. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, they got fences, but that's it. Sure. You know? And uh, so there, there's really, a, you have to be well-rounded and your right. horses and your horsemanship have to be on point to, to and that was hard that. that was hard for me because growing up in california <clears throat> i grew up in long and big arenas and yep. long scores i went to denver uh, to the rodeo and i thought they should store hay in there i mean it was the smallest yeah. thing and then i found out that denver wasn't even a small facility yeah that was one of the bigger ones you know then when you get to thomas and mac it's tiny yep that's a little bitty building you know abilene is tiny you know, you go to places that are just really small. And so I, it took a long time for me to get used to small venues and throwing fast and trying to, you know, you know, move up and change your rope in a little bit. So that, that was hard for me. What did you do to start improving that? Because that's, I'm, I know exactly, what you, I'm from out west. I love heading. If an 18 foot box, I love it. Yeah. Them 16, 15 foot boxes, four, and right. I hate them. Yeah. What did you do? You know, my son said something to me one time that, that really resonated with me. And he said that I'm, he said, you're too afraid to miss. He said, you, you, you're so conditioned not to miss. He said, you got to try stuff out of your comfort zone. You got to move up higher and you got to get wider and you got to get further down the arena and you got to get more speed on your swing and you got to do things that are different for you. And try shots, you know, see what you can do, see what you can't do, you know, because my gut is that when it goes on, pull on the reins, get back out of the turn, let them hit, be able to watch them and then go heal them. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Right. And I was 4-4 four, four, uh, seven days ago at Mineral Wells and I won sixth place and $370. Yeah. Against 70 teams or 60 teams. or $370 for 4-4. Four, four. If that would have been 10 years ago, they would have wrote stories about me. I would, they would have named children after me. Arena record. A famous. Yeah. I've been a famous guy. Probably cover of the PSN. No, I literally, I literally could not get out of the arena. And this, you know, people say that. The next team after me was Travis Graves, and he was 4-2. And then Levi Lord was 4-3. And I was still in the alley. Yeah. I hadn't. I hadn't got out of the facility right. before I got beat twice. Yeah. It's discouraging when that happens. That's all I can say. Is it's like, well, they're just so, they're they're animals. so good. Yeah, they're, they're animals. just amazing how good they are. Yep. The sport of team roping, how it's evolved. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, risk. The, that is what has changed so much roping. I... 
I mean, like I said, I, I didn't grow up thinking I, I kind of threw fast healing cause I didn't know how to heal. Right. And that it just seemed like I just got to the spot and I threw <laughs> like I was cutting it at him. And then, um, as we broke in steers, uh, we would break in a few thousand head of steers per winter and they basically, they started saying, Hey, if you miss healing, cause you got to circle them. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, if you miss healing, got to put it on the chute. Well, after pretty much me throwing my rope one time healing and then putting it on in the chute all day long. And then the, as soon as I get a chance, I miss like, I mean, I'm probably roped all day long and didn't, I missed probably like 10 steers and didn't really even get a rope. Right. And I started looking at healing a little bit different. Sure. And, and I looked at roping a little bit different after that as well. Cause I was like, I would just study Jake. I would study guys that like, you know, if I had to be very fast to win first, I like fitting right in behind that at second. Right. You know, if I'm seventh high call and eighth call blast one, I'm like, perfect. I'll go catch, get right behind that team, and all the rest of the teams are going to have to be fast. And I'll, I got a great chance at winning top three checks because this other team took all the risk for me. Right. And now it's guys are, they go at them. They, yeah. they, and they're, you have to get in front of teams now. Yeah. There's just no way around it. And you have to be, be able to miss and live with yourself missing. And that's, that's a weird, a weird thing to handle mentally is being able to miss, right? Yeah. You know, is, is that, how did you, how did you get over that? That that was hard. That was hard for me. Yeah. But you know, like I went to that rope up at Robertson Hill the other day and was 12 on two and then my hitter missed the third one. But you know, I roped good that day. I, I, I got a leg for one guy, but it was I was pretty good. I was competitive. My horse was good. Yeah. So I think you have to know your yourself. You know, I mean, hey, I was fast enough today. You know, I, I, I don't know if I, I couldn't have stayed with Wesley Thorpe. You know, he was uh, Pedro. They were fast. They were like 23 on yeah, four. I, and then, I, yeah, I couldn't have stayed with him. Yeah. So I was I was 12, almost 13 on, on, on two. And I didn't realize it, but I was I was losing ground to them already. Yeah. But but I was fast enough to be in the money. You know, and it was, it was competitive. Right. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. I try to look at me and the time and how I was doing and how I felt. And that's the kind of stuff. Well, too, and that i think that's the other thing is it's it's easy to get lost with guys that are doing good in the rapids right because yeah. you're like oh i'm so far behind well you don't know they've probably i mean the headers scored like they've played a perfect game and right. then ro- probably drawn really well absolutely and, and so you're like well but they don't they don't mess you know a lot of people say oh that team drew great you know i headed you know when i when i was gone for those 10 years i headed for travis my son when we would go to jackpots i would break the barrier on a slow steer I'd, I'd, I'd draw a runner, I'd draw, you know, a runner, and then I'd have that in my mind, and I would decide that it would be flank or, you know, as a shoulder, you know, neck rope around. Yeah. I'd break the bear on the good one. You know, I had a chance. Yeah. I did draw a good steer. Those guys draw good up there, but they don't, they score great. Yep. You know, they take advantage of the steers that they, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to draw good to win. Right. You can't draw bad and, and win. You can't draw steers that are running off, but then you can't mess them up. Yeah, I, I think the one uh, variable in roping that I don't, I just don't think, it doesn't matter how good you rope, you can't beat a header that has scored perfect on a good horse. Absolutely. If you've got a header that has drilled the barrier every time, they have an easy route to winning this yeah, roping yeah, or man. winning top three checks. Clay Tryon scores amazing. Best score, Eddie, uh, ever. Uh, yeah, he scores great. It's unreal. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I when I rode with him, you know, Dennis, his dad, you know, would get on him when they were young and said, "You can't win, you can't win anything if you break the barrier." Yeah, you know, you just cannot win like that. Score good, score sharp, and he he scores great. He just does things too, like he he might move his horse to the inside if he leaves a little early or get some float, or he knows how to just get all the run out of him if he's a little off of it. And yeah, he's... you know, I'm a horsemanship guy, and when I see him back his horse up with both hands in the box, <laughs> you know. And just seesaw him back his and forth. His bits flipped just, up. Uh, and so <laughs> you know, and then he just blows the bear back yeah. and a coal back and just welds it on their head. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, everybody has their own way of doing it. But that guy, that guy's an animal. Yeah, it, he's the best scoring header oh, yeah. of, of all time. Yeah. I'll argue with anyone. Right. But I, 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 it's unreal, right. the feel that he has. You know, I'd like to go back to something a minute ago that you said that, uh, you know, you, uh, about, you know, knowing when to catch and knowing when to go fast. And a lot of young guys don't do that. They only go fast. And, I, you know, Martin Lacero, I was always a fan of his roping because I, I, I said that if I had one bullet and I was starving to death, right. I would give it to Martin Lacero. Yeah. He's a meat hunter. He's going to bring something back. Yep. You know, that guy, if 3-5 was winning it, he's not going to try to be 3-5. He's not going to do that. You know, he's going to find out where a slot is in there that 4-8 is winning fifth. He's going to slide in there and be 4-4. Four, four. Yep. It's smart. You know, not that he can't go fast because he could. He can cross fire. He could do all the stuff. But that guy, to me, was extremely difficult to beat because he was smart and he knew when to throw fast and when to catch. Yeah. And I, and I admire that in people. I, I always did it with him. I think that's, um, it's like the art of winning. Yes. And he has mastered it. He, he really did. Um, from healing at the NFR to, I mean, just all the time. I mean, he, a high IQ yep. healer. And that's, and I think that, it's really weird because you see a lot of a lot of headers. Um, I, I kind of look, I study headers more or less. How they're not afraid to miss and how aggressive they are. But what you very rarely see, uh, there's not a lot of young headers that have that kind of offense. Yeah. That can just go beat, go catch. And you look at like a Luke Brown or yeah. someone yes. like that. Like when Luke is high call and he has to be seven nine, he's gonna be. Seven, seven nine, eight. yeah. Right, like right. you're gonna win the rope, yeah, right. And it's gonna look easy, yeah. And now, if Luke's high calling, he has to be five. He can do that too. He can win whatever roping it is. And I think that's the maturity in the roping. Like you gotta, you gotta miss some of those steers, right? right? You gotta when you throw your rope, and it looked like Jake was saying earlier, right? <laughs> it looked like it wasn't on his his dime, right? But if it is on your dime, and you missed one, and you left money on the table, it it hurts, you know. It, yeah. And I think that's like losing is almost a a good thing. And I I think like like Martin is probably a guy that he he lost. I wouldn't. I don't know how much, but he acts like he doesn't like losing. You know. Well, and also like he's roping for money. He's roping for his money. Yep. You know, it's not it's not his grandfather's money. It's not you know somebody else's money. He's roping for money. Yeah. When he gets it down there, he wants it to yeah, count. Yeah. Right on. So Walt, do you remember? It's been a while since I, I've come out here and headed some steers. Yeah, right. Yes. I mean, it's got to be six or seven years probably. Right. right. I. It was the most interesting phone call because I hadn't been in Texas very long, and you're like, "Hey, can you come over and head me some steers?" I'm like, "Yeah." You're like, I think it was 20, it was a, it wasn't 25, but it was like 24 steers. Yes. Hey, can you turn 24 steers? Yes. yes. 
What? Uh, you got to explain this to me. Okay, because I, I, I do, you know, what I tell people, you're going to have to die and ask God what was right and what was wrong. Sure. You know what I mean? But before then, it's just a trial and error process. So is one steer enough on a horse? No, I would say no. No. It's not enough. Is 20 too many? Sure. Yeah, okay, so, so where's the number? Yeah. What number is, is a number that you think your horse needs a break on? So I've decided six or seven steers is a number because I look at his veins on his neck. I look at the, the sweat around his ears. I look at, I, I feel him breathing because when you're, when you're roping at the level, at the highest level, you're not just loping, you're, you're firing, you're going right. fast and, and asking a horse to do hard things. And I think that if you ask a horse to do that over and over and over, pretty soon he doesn't trust you. If I ask you to do wind sprints, if I said, let's go out there and I want you to do wind sprints. If I'm coaching you and I ask you to do eight wind sprints, would you run as hard as you could? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I... Yes. I, if I ask you to do 80, no. I mean... I, I, can't, I can't do 80 as hard as I can. I can't. I can't do it. So I'm going to conserve myself. I'm going to give you 80%. Yeah. So I'm going to ask my horse to give me six runs, all he's got, and then I'm going to reward him. I'm going to walk him around. I'm going to have somebody on him that walks him around because my friend, you know, from the racetrack, they said the worst thing that team ropers do is that we don't warm our horses up enough and we don't cool them out enough. Right. We rope and then we tie them right up to the fence yeah. and then we jump on another one. So I warm my horses up. I count the strides. I know exactly how far my horse gallops every day before I, before I rope on him. And then I cool him out for 10 minutes. I keep him walking for 10 minutes. So what I want is I want to rope six and, and put my in, when I, an intern on him and keep him moving. I'm going to get another one, rope six, get back on him six, and rope another one six. So that's 24 steers. Yeah. So if I had another horse, then 36 steers. But six, 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 and six. So that's the number. Now, should it be seven? You know, one day there was a guy here and he says, oh, God forbid you've run seven. Don't miss the point. Yeah. Don't miss the point. It's not 14 in a row. I know that's too many. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I think you put it perfectly. I, I think I was, I can't remember if we talked about it on a podcast or not, but we were talking about uh, losing your breath. And I compared it to like powerlifting or some sort of strenuous exercise, right? Right. As soon as you learn your, lose your breath and you start like laboring through that's where injury sets in that's where you're compromised and and i think six is i mean that's probably the perfect number for me that's about where i'm at on most of my head horses anyways right right yeah when when a head horse starts weaving going back to the box where he's walking like a snake he's trying to get more time yeah He's, he's needing more air when he's moving his butt out of the corner he's he's I need more time. I got to recover. You know right. what I mean? And so I don't think you can make a horse work out of desire like that. I don't think you're taking care of him. I don't think he believes in you. But if I rope six, and then also, you know, and it, it, I, I have a system on how I do everything. And one of the things that I think I've done, you know, Henry Ford said that he has surrounded himself with people that are more intelligent in areas that he is not that that's what that's he said i have an expertise of the manufacturing of automobiles right not even not even uh, uh selling them only manu- manu- manufacturing that's what i know 
but I can push a button and summons a man or a woman that can answer any question that you could possibly think of. Any question. That's what I've tried to do in my life. I have, I feel like I have three fields of expertise. I'm good at winning. I've won a lot and I know how to win. Two, I'm really good at training horses. I was raised by a remarkable horseman and I know how to do it and I've proved it from horses that I halter broke and took them to the world championships and all this stuff that I've done. It's not an opinion. I can do that. And three, I'm good at teaching people how to rope. Yeah. I understand my mechanics, whether I'm heading or healing, I understand that and I can share that with other people. But other than that, I don't, I'm, I don't have hardly anything that I'm good at other than those three things. So I try to stay within that area. So when I lived in California, I had three of my horses lame at one time. I mean, I've got eight of them and three of them are crippled. I mean, what is going on? And honestly, I thought it was the ground. And I pride myself on my ground. I drag my ground a lot. I really keep it flat and nice. Right. And so I have a friend of mine, Tom Roberts. He's a famous thoroughbred racehorse trainer. And he was training horses at, in San Francisco at Golden Gate Fields. And I asked him to come to my place in Stockton and look at my facility. And he got there and he said, how far are you galloping your horses before you rope on them? I don't know. Yeah. What's the answer to that question? I don't, I don't know. know the answer. And he said, you should know exactly how far these horses are going. And I said, at the, he said, at the racetrack, we know exactly how far they go. I said, I know because there's markers on the racetrack. Right. You know, you don't just leg up a jockey and say, just run him around out there and then bring him back. That's not what they do. You know, I want this horse to gallop a mile today, or I want him to jog a mile, or I want him to, you know, I want him to breeze, you know, three-eighths of a mile. They, you know, they have a program. He said, you should know that on your rope horses. So he said, you either count the strides that they take, or, or you time you time them. So he said, go out along the road and drive your car and mark off a quarter of a mile. Now count every other stride when they gallop. So one, two, three, four, a hundred of those is a quarter mile. There and it go. takes a horse almost two minutes, a minute and 50 seconds, a minute and 52 seconds to gallop a quarter of a mile at a nice controlled gallop. So when I warm my horses up, I gallop them 400 strides. I gallop a hundred strides to the left, a hundred strides to the right, a hundred to the left, a hundred to the right. Now, if a horse is, needs more work, then I go 500 strides. So that's a mile and a quarter. This morning at daylight, I got a horse that's a little bit goy, a mile and a half, 600 strides, switch directions. And then I walked him out for 10 minutes and cooled him out before I tied him up. Tom said, you should know exactly how far your horses are warming up. And you can take energy away from them by galloping them. He said, you can't do damage on a horse without going fast. Speed is what hurts horses. But he said galloping them takes the energy down and that way you're not having to rope steer after steer after steer to get them flat. So I know exactly how far each one of my horses gallop every single day. Right. Do you? No. And you should. I know. And you should know that. Yeah. Because at the racetrack, because Tom Roberts, when he talks to me about health and wellness of a horse, it makes me feel like I should get a cat and live in town. I mean, he is... He is so far superior about health and, and wellness and soundness. Right. He's an amazing, amazing horseman. 
So again, that's from the rodeo business. You surround yourself with people that are not, I mean, how many rodeo guys are very good at soundness? I mean, not very, not very many barrel racers are great at soundness, Yes, but not very many team ropers. You know, it's hard to tell a horse is off behind, you know, I mean, when a horse is jogging, I mean, it's, it's tough for me to see that, you know, off in front. Yeah, I can get that, but off behind pretty tough to see it just a little off pretty tough to find out where he's off. Anyway, that's something that we do that I do that I believe in really strongly yeah. is knowing exactly how far each horse gallops every day. I mean, that's, it's something so simple. Yes. And it is such a big detail. Right. But yeah. I didn't make it up. That came from the racetrack, came from Tom Roberts. Yeah. I mean, is that something you learned early in your roping career as far as finding the your weaknesses and then getting around people that can give you great advice yeah i I ask questions right don't talk so much every we all think that we're super interesting i am we're just fascinated with ourselves i'm the worst at that (laughs) i am the worst no we all are everybody (laughs) likes to talk about themselves yeah okay and knowing that ask the other guy some questions and he'll start talking about himself right you know he'll start giving you information you know I mean, Tom has helped me with, you know, for a while I used polo wraps. I mean, I didn't like the wraps. I didn't like the splint boots that I was using. And now I do. I, I you know, I have a great endorsement and I, they, because I didn't like how hot the boots were and I felt like they needed to be cooler and they weren't, you know, provide. Anyway, Tom Roberts helped me with polo wraps. Yeah. And I would, I would stay at his house. I mean, who knows more about polo wraps than a guy that's got 40 thoroughbreds in training. And how to actually use them correctly. Absolutely. And I, when I would stay at his house, I would just, I would put them on and I would, he would make me take them off and I'd put yeah. them on and take them off and they had to be exactly right. And they had to have the V in the right place. And, you know, oh, I mean, he, I know, I know, but he, you know, get around other people in other disciplines. I mean, you want to, you want to see someone that's great at horsemanship, watch a dressage demonstration. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, I think we lose it so much team roping, and I see it more and more now. Uh, we, we started the barrel racing website too, right? Yeah, Exactor right. Barrel Racing. Um, awesome. So doing instructional shoots with barrel racers, but the first thing I notice is they have to basically stay in a constant, I would call it, I call it flow state or in the zone of like being in the moment. You have right. a lot of feel. Well, team roping, I have about a few strides out of the box and a few strides across the arena that I got to manage my horse. Sure. Barrel racing, you have to run in, like you have 16 seconds worth of feel that you have to control your horse's movements and to understand a horse it, it well, I mean, it's you, you want to see a com- you want to see a competitive event, watch it's, a barrel race at the NFR. Yeah. Or That's just incredible. Take away the rope and the variable like the human aspect of the if you're late, you can use your rope, right? Right. Barrel racing, there's no making up right. for you. Have to, you're either fast enough or you're not. Sure. And 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 basically all the other disciplines of horsemanship, you have to have control and feel of your horse. And that's, uh, I mean, that's brilliant, really, right. to to look at people that have to use their horse more than a, a team roper, right? right? What about the mental game, Walt? So, I, I mean, well, one more talk because I, I I have this. This is what I find so fascinating about you. I don't know how many times, I would have come over two or three times, five, six, seven yeah. years ago, not yeah. hardly at all. Right. You talked to me about a few things that just stuck. One thing you mentioned was 
you knew exactly how many 10 healers the USTRC had. Right. Do you still know that number? Yeah, I, th I think at that time it was 130 of them. 130 <clears throat> right. number 10 healers. Yes. And you told me there's 130 guys that can do what I do at the very best level. Right. I have to get to that. 5%. Yeah, 5%. 5%. You can't be a mediocre 10. I'm a 10. I can't be a mediocre 10. That means I finished 65th. 65th. Yep. 65th. And there's no money. I don't know when the last time you finished 65th, but that doesn't pay nothing. I've finished 65th a couple <laughs> right. times. I have, two, I have two. But you, so the top 5% is the only guys that win money. Yeah. And those guys. So you, you don't have to get a lot better. You just got to get a little bit better. I'm already really good. Yeah. But if I could get a little bit better, then I could win. Right. So that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to study video. You're trying to find any little advantage that you can. You know, Colin Von Ahn and I are really good friends. And he said if you could bottle confidence, you could sell it for $1,000 an ounce. He said it's the most important thing in the world. Right. You know, you've got to keep your confidence. And in this business, you lose a lot. Yeah. Man, oh, man. It's just you lose. And, and what happens is that you drive to Cody and you miss. And then you drive to Red Lodge and you miss. And you drive to Livingston and your header misses. And then you drive 18 hours to St. Paul and you got to get over it. Yeah. you gotta, you got to believe that your plan will work. And you can't be weak because then it'll spiral out of control. You'll miss them both at St. Paul and then on the way to Eugene and then to Malala and then to Oakley. And you've missed them all. You've got to be able to pull it together, man. You've got to be mentally tough. And one of the things that I found out, like my dad made me mentally strong. Right. You know, Travis Graves, his father, made him mentally strong. Clay Tryon's dad and Travis Tryon's dad, he's a dentist. I know Dennis Tryon. He made them boys mentally tough. Right. You know, and, and you, you, that, that is an ingredient in, in, in winners, I think. It's, yeah. it's maybe the number one ingredient, right? right? You, is, cannot, you cannot be weak. So let's, I mean, what's the most you've missed in a row or rodeo what's been the hardest oh man hardest I, 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 can't, I can't remember one time i think i missed like you know maybe 14 in a, in a row legs and missing you know and and what i said when it started going bad is that i can't miss them all well it turns out you can yeah you can miss them all <laughs> you just keep missing and missing and missing right but i i think you got to focus on yeah, yeah i mean and i know this sounds silly but I, I was at huntsville the other day and there's a guy that bulldogs and i i, I really like him a lot He's always he's young and he's always complimentary and he goes out of his way to speak to me. And he said about how bad he was drawing. I just, I keep drawing so bad. I said, how's it going? Man, I'm drawing bad. And I said, first of all, you got to speak it. You got you to start speaking how good you're drawing yeah. and how, how things are going your way. And, and you know, that really is huge. I know that sounds crazy, but unless you speak it, it won't happen for you. Right. You cannot, because he's speaking it. Except the other way. I draw bad. Yeah. I keep drawing bad. If there's a bad one in there, I'm going to get him. You're speaking it. Yep. Good job. Keep it up. Keep it up. Because the guy that's drawing good wants you to keep talking like that because he wants you to take the bad ones out of there. It will happen all the time. You can do it at a jackpot. If you head, you can ride over to the pen of steers and say, man, I hope I don't get that one. You'll get that one every time. Yeah. The biggest one with the biggest horns. There's something about that. So if that is true, and it is true, why not focus on the good one? Why, yeah. not, why not focus on that good steer and start speaking about how well you draw and how good you do in the high teams, how, how, how you're a winner. And under pressure, you always come through. 
you know, and you got to feed yourself that. You got to say that because you can hear it. Right. You got to speak it and hear it and believe it and say it. Well, and how many times I seen it with the bulldogger too. One time, um, who's, he was right there on the bubble and it's coming down to that last month. Right. Yeah. And I just keep drawing bad. I just keep drawing bad. Yeah. Well, then he drew a good one and messed him up. Right. Right. And then I'm like, well, what happened now? And, and I seen it and I was like, well, if you look at it, like instead of I'm drawing bad, what a chance to, to win something on this bad steer. Sure. What an opportunity. Right. If I do this perfect, if I score, if he runs and you score perfect and I hit it just right, I got a chance. And you might not. You really might not. Roy, Roy Cooper and I are the same age. And I, I've known Roy since, since high school. I, he went to the, to the high school national finals in Ogden, Utah. First time I ever seen him. It was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I'd never seen anybody real calves like that ever. Right. And uh, we, we had a plane that we, we would keep for 30 days at a time one time. In the old days, and I'm glad the rodeo business is not like this anymore, but in the old days, there was unlimited rodeos. Yeah. And people argue about, oh, should rodeos be unlimited? And, and let me tell you what happens when rodeos are unlimited. Rich kids win. Yeah. Because their grandfather has a king heir, and some poor kid that I was has a pickup and sleeping in his trailer. 50-gallon. Does not have a chance against a kid that has a king heir. It's, it's just not num- fair. It's, it's just not, numbers No, that right on. Yeah. Because if, if he gets to 160 rodeos and I get to 70, we don't know who the best guy is. But you can't let you can't let teams play more games than other teams. That's sure. not that's not fair, right? Uh, okay, we had an airplane, and when it was unlimited, we had a, we had a two ten that we lived in. We were putting forty hours a week on it on a two ten. We were spending forty hours a week in the air. That's how much we were flying. Right. And so uh, Roy wanted to ride one time. He knew we had a plane, and he went with us. He got in the airplane. And, and he, I think it was like a two and a half hour plane ride. From the time he got in, he told me how great I was. He never stopped. He told me, he says, I have never seen anybody heal like you. He said, you're incredible. Right. He said, I've been watching you. He said, you're amazing. I, I can't believe, how, how can you rope like that? That's just a, a, over and over and over. Finally, I fell asleep, fell asleep. And he nudged me with his elbow and he woke me up and he goes, you're the baddest I ever seen. Right. I mean, I got out of the plane. I believed it. Yeah. He said that to me nonstop, just fed that to me. And I said, Roy, what calf did you draw? And he said, it won't matter. <laughs> it won't matter. I'm going to win the day money anyway. Right. And he did. He did. But what an impact that that plane ride had and how confident and how, how positive he was and how much he believed in it, you know. I mean, he made me, and I wasn't the best guy in the world, and he, I believed it when I landed. In a two-and-a-half-hour flight. Yeah, he, he convinced me that I was the best. I think there's um, our self-talk yes. is something that can get out of hand right. fast. Right. And rodeo is maybe the best way to expose that. <laughs> right. Because it's just it can be so embarrassing. I mean, I think embarrassing is a good word for right. it because you work so hard, and then in front of your peers and what it, whatever it is you you'll have bad moments yes i mean you're gonna have well do you're you're gonna have for whatever you're gonna miss a lot of steers yeah and to understand yourself and understand hey this is right i know what i can do i know my my job and to start having that positive talk all the time right i find it fascinating to 
see the people that can shift that and their careers seem longer, but they also, they're just happier people. Yeah. Right? No, absolutely. No. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I love the saying that, you know, you're not perfect. There was only one perfect guy and they nailed him to a cross. You're not him. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to miss. You cannot help it. You're a human. You're going to make mistakes. It's just part of the deal. Right. But be as prepared as you possibly can. Be as prepared and be, you know, be positive and, and you know, be ready to go when you get an opportunity because you're going to get an opportunity. You're going to draw good. Right. And you just got to keep, be ready for that pop yeah, quiz. Yeah, right, right on, right on. <laughs> Study the material, be ready. Dare the guy to give me the quiz. I dare you to. Yeah. So, Walt, what about losing? Let's talk about... Let's say, we'll use me as an example and my healing. I'm a number eight healer. I miss quite a few steers. Right. I get quite a few losses in. If you are me or a healer that ropes and there's obviously room for improvement. Right. How do you try to go from competition, knowing you you rope good but maybe not where you want to be, how do you ride that line of, I need to go work at something and improve on these things without tearing yourself down and, and building it up? Well, that's, that's what I do, though. Like, when you, when you were just talking to me right there, I just thought, you know, this guy needs to rope the sled more. Right. You know, he needs to rope a track steer more. He needs to rope a donkey more. He needs to handle his rope more. He needs to, you know. Just do it more. Get some Holsteins and slow it down and start, you know, making sure. There's three reasons why people can't heal. They can't get in position and stay in position. They can't feel their tip. And they can't recognize timing. Right. Those are the three reasons that you can't heal, right? Yeah. So am I able to lock onto the steer and stay in position? I mean, sometimes, you know. <laughs> right. It's like being a little bit pregnant. It's yes or no. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, you got you got to work on that. Your yep. horse, you can't get there and your horse tags him and then he's telling you when to throw. Right. You know, he's got to come around there. I mean, Logan... Um, uh, what's that kid's name from Mexico? Logan. Logan Medlin. Wow. He's going to do a podcast with me one wow. of these days, Walt, but what he keeps a, putting me off. What a horse. That horse is amazing. What a horse. I love, I love that horse. One of the best heel horses ever. I, I absolutely. Gosh dang. He, he told me one time, he said, I would love to have your horse. And I thought if you had my horse and your horse, <laughs> people would, he would have no chance against this kid. Yep. I mean, his horse holds the distance, comes around there, and is just absolutely perfect. And if he wants to follow the steer three swings, he can. If he wants to throw in the switch, he can. Yep. You know, that's, that's what, you know, so those three things you got to look at those three things how is your position how is your tip can you feel your tip absolutely yes at your level you can and two how's your timing right you know those are the three things that you got to get and if i have those three things mastered when i go roping then you're not going to beat me i'm prepared as you're not going to beat me today so you basically you i think this is the hardest thing that uh, you see with a lot of young ropers, and maybe just people in general, is they tie their roping to their self-worth, right? And and so if you don't, if you have a bad practice session or a bad performance, you want to go to the practice session uh, working on these things, but you almost work on it with like a, a negative, like almost See, a and I don't I don't think that way. I mean, I heard, I heard someone say something at one time, you know, who won the World Series three years ago? Nah. I said, I mean, that's the point. No one knows. That's the point. No one knows. Yep. No one cares. 
Right. You know, I love, I love the, the 20, 50, 60 rule of life. And that is when I was 20, I was where you are. Everyone was thinking about me. Yep. And when I was 50, I got to where I didn't care what anybody thought about me. And now that I'm over 60, I found out that nobody's been thinking about me at all. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Because everyone is so concerned with their own life. Yeah. They, they're not keeping track of you. They don't care what you're doing yeah, yeah. as long as you're not offensive and offending their family and doing some rude thing. But they, they, they're not keeping track of your life. They got their own deal. They got their own life that they're trying to keep on the tracks, you know. So it's really up to you. Nobody's Nobody cares. And you, you need to self-evaluate in a constructive manner, like you're saying. The, the These three things that I need to master. Yeah. And you just work on them until you feel like you have a mastered, which will probably be never. And no, you, you... that's not true. Don't say that. It's just a skill. Those are skills. Okay. You know, I ask people all the time. I said, I, you know, when I'm doing a clinic, I ask people, is there anyone here that, that cannot weld? And, you know, people will raise their hand. Three or four people raise their hand. And I said, do you think you're, I said, I, let me ask you a question. I want you to ask me a question. I can't weld either. Do you think, I want you to ask me this question. Walt, do you think you're too ignorant to learn how to weld? Do you think you're too ignorant? Absolutely not. No, it's a skill. And I think if you can teach me, if you can teach me the mechanics of welding, I'll, I can weld. Right. Now, I don't know if I'll be an underwater welder, yeah. right? But I think I can build a fence. Yeah. I think I, right? Yes. And you're, you're confident with that. You agreed with me just now. Sure. That, that's what I think about roping. I think it's a skill. I think if you work hard enough at those three things, if you work on getting your horse in position and stay in position for a series of swings, I think if you work on tip control and you work on your timing, you can master those three things. Right. Uh, there's no like people say all the time. Oh, you work on confidence. You 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 have to you, you have to be super confident. Okay, if I walked up and down in front of the buck and shoots over and over and over and said I'm the greatest bull rider in the world, when in true when in fact that's not true because I don't know the mechanics of riding a bull. Right. I, I don't know any of those mechanics, but I do understand the mechanics of roping. So if I focus on that, if I isolate the things that I know are important and I focus on those, how could I not be successful? Right. It would be impossible to lose if I thought that way, if I, if I worked on those three things and mastered those three things. Right. Then it's just the time and the effort. And Absolutely. The how bad, the, how, the, how the bad do you want it? Yes. How bad do you want it? I mean, I never went to a high school football game when I was in high school. I never had a date when I was in high school. I never, nothing. All I did was rope. That's all I thought about. Right. I, I, I told the story today. I, I went through, my mother was Portuguese and she loved parades. She really liked parades. And she always wanted me to ride in a parade. Okay. And I, I, I thought parades was embarrassing. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to ride in a parade. But she, that's, you know, a, a, the, the Portuguese culture that you'd, you'd have to understand Portuguese people to understand that that's kind of a big deal to ride your horse in a parade. Yeah. Okay. So I went through this town when I was, I was 17 years old and I, I was traveling with Bob McClellan. And there was kids, it was Friday night, and there was kids sitting on their car hoods along on the street. And I told Bob, I said, why would they have a parade on Friday night, a parade at night? And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, those people, like, they're waiting for a parade. And he said, 
That's what kids do on Friday night. Did you not know that? I swear, I swear on my life. I did not know that kids went to town and drove endlessly up and down Main Street, going nowhere right. and turning around back and forth and then parked and sat on their cars. I didn't know that that happened because I'd never done that. I'd never, every night when I got out of school, I roped. That's all I thought about. You fell in love with roping very early. Yeah. That's how special and fortunate I, is again, that? you know, a, a guy, a young guy asked me, and I've been asked this question a lot, the secret to success, you know, and I used to say two things. I used to say work ethic and attitude. That's what I used to say. But now I added one more. It is work ethic. It is attitude, but it's being in the right place at the right time. You meet the right person. You get the right break in your life, you know? Yeah. And and that's that has happened to me a lot. It's happened to me. I, I've met the right person. They said the right thing. They triggered something in my mind. And, and it made me. I was born in California. And I seen Leo Camarillo rope. He right. lived 30 miles from where I lived. And I was absolutely fascinated that he could catch 10 steers in a row by both feet. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Now remember, this is 1966, 1967. No one could catch. People couldn't catch five steers in a row. Yeah, you. If you caught four steers at a jackpot out of five, you would win. You would win something. Right. You, you you would win not first but fourth. If you caught five in a row by both feet. They would put you in the local newspaper. That was incredible. Yeah. Him and his brother, they could rope 30 in a row by both feet. And I told my dad, I said, there has to be a method on healing. There has to be. Because they can make cars that look exactly the same. They can make houses that look exactly the same. Right? Yep. A house don't come out looking the same one as the other one, and they go, oh, my gosh, can you believe that? Yeah, of course, we followed the same blueprint, and it turned out exactly like that one did. Right? So I told my dad, I said, they have a system. They have a method. There's, there's steps that they're following because they can get the same result over and over and over. And right. so I got, I got fatuated with the, with, the, with the method, with the system on how to do it because I wanted to know how you swung it. How do you swing it? Do you, do you, do you swing it back and forth? Do you swing it just on the left side? Do you swing it on the right side? Do you swing it behind your head? Do you swing it in front of your horse's head? Where do you turn it over? When do you turn it over? How far across does it go before you break it over? No one could tell me any of that as a kid. No one could. And, and the things that they told me as a kid didn't make any sense to me. And I still think they're ridiculous. Yeah. you got to follow through. I think that was started by a drunk at a bar. <laughs> I think that was the most ridiculous concept I've ever heard of when I, ever. Because if I'm trying to rope you around the head, if you're sitting across the room, and I let go of the rope when the tip is going towards that door, and I follow all the way through, it's not going to go on your head. It will never go on your head. Yeah. Ever. And never as a kid when I missed did anyone ever say... You missed because you let go of your rope and the tip of the rope was going the wrong way. No one ever said that. You just didn't fall through. Yeah. Or you dropped your elbow. I said, where'd I drop it? I said, down. I said, how low was it? They said, low. I said, where's it supposed to be? Up. I said, how high? They said, high. Ah, 
That really narrows it down. That's ridiculous. Oh, you can't lean. You can't lean. I'm a leaner. I lean. Well, I asked my dad, why can't I lean? I said, because your horse, he says your horse will stop when you lean. I said, next time your horse starts bucking, lean over. I bet you don't stop. And everybody keeps talking about, oh, you can't lean, you can't lean. Junior Nogueira has not got the memo. Yeah, he hadn't heard anything and about it. And no that. one has said a word about him leaning. <laughs> not one word. Not on any of them checks. I'm waiting for him. I'm <laughs> waiting for somebody to come up and say, Junior, you need to go back to Brazil because you can't heal leaning. Your body position has to be perfect. His body position is horrible. And that guy is... how. Unreal. He is un. That's it's, he's so fun to watch, <laughs> and I, I mean, I have so many. I've watched maybe more roping than <laughs> a, a very few people may have watched more runs than me at this point with what we've had to do on the video editing. Right. And I've watched his healing a lot, and I've watched it to the point where I'm like, I, I just. I don't understand. Like, yeah, I, let's talk about Junior's body position. Because there was one picture of the NFR where his head is in front of his horse's head and his feet are behind the horse's butt. Yeah. And drilled him. Yeah, and he's, he, I mean, that, in his first few NFRs, has anyone, very few guys have healed at that, that good, his first few yeah, NFRs. I mean, he's just ropes so good. It's yeah, just, it's but amazing. I mean, you know what's, what's wonderful? He's got his hands full. Yeah. He's got his hands full with Travis Graves, Jade Corkill, uh, uh, you know, I mean, all these guys. Are just, Thorpe, Wesley Hunter Thorpe, Cook. Hunter Cook. I love, I love Hunter Cook's healing. Oh, love it. We were talking about Hunter today. He's, that guy's an animal. He yeah, is, it's he's crazy. Animal. So, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, Junior still hadn't won a world championship in the healing. Yep. You know, so that's how, that's how tough it is. Right. And I think that's, that's the thing about, about it is you know you, you fell in love with the process yes and so there was no if, if you're in love with the process you question things and as soon as you start questioning things and can answer okay well this works this way right well why does it work this way why can't it work this way and I think that's how well, in healing though it's about physics it's about yep. you know if you swing your rope down beside you and make it it's not going to go under the feet it's going to go up yeah. So I knew that it had to do with the physics of the rope. We went out and across and across and across. So when I let go of it, it would, you know, if, if I let go at the right time, the energy would, would take it through. Yep. So, you know, but again, I was for, if I'd have been born in, in Missouri in 1955 and been trying to learn how to heal in 19, it would be, it would be like trying to learn how to bulldog and you've never seen it. You've yeah. never seen bulldogging. So you and your buddy just take off after a steer and your buddy says, who should jump? And you say, just whoever gets closest, you know. I mean, well, you're you're an outlier. You know, you you were blessed with an opportunity that no one had. They had the first guys that figured out how to rope, yes. truly how to rope. Yeah, absolutely. You were 30 miles away, right? And you got to watch them and study them yeah. from a young age, where you could develop those skills, and you took advantage of it. Plus, you had a mind and a work ethic to question all of these things. Uh, also, I was raised by a, a t- tough dad. I love my father. I really did. I, but, but but he was he was stern with me, and 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 so I I could stand. Uh, verbal abuse I mean when I when I got into the pros you know at, at when I was young a lot of the rodeo guys were not nice they they weren't very nice people I mean they're they're hard like that generation is yeah, hard yeah I mean they were they, these guys now are funny 
they're pleasant they're just wonderful guys to be around and back then they they weren't they weren't very nice but i would go to leo camarillo's house and i would run the steers up or help him saddle his horses or anything i could just to be around him and he would say really hateful things to me sometimes <laughs> just horrible things to me and i told him one time i said listen i don't know why you say hateful things to me Right. But I, th I think you're just the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I just, I, I can't believe I'm even getting to be around you. So I said, here's what I want you to do. For some reason that you are angry at me every day when I get here, I want you to think of the most hateful thing you can say to me. That way we can get that out of the way and then we can get to the information because I'm not leaving. I have to stay here. Yeah. You're the only person that knows how to do this. You have to help me learn how to do this. And I wouldn't go away. And when I started talking to him like that, I, th I don't know if he felt sorry for me or if he just gave up and tried to offend me. But I'm not leaving. I have to stay here. Where did that come from? That well, my, my dad. You think Leo Camarillo is going to bother me? Yeah. I was raised by Sheldon Woodard. Take your best shot. Yes. You cannot offend me. You cannot. That's amazing. Well, I mean... Yeah, my, my, my dad, my dad was, you know, he was, a, but, but my dad was fair. I missed a steer one time and my dad, we practiced and my dad said, get off your horse and go in the house with your mother. And I said, why? And he said, because she can't ride either. <laughs> right. And then, and then he said, if you can't eliminate position as a reason why you miss, how can you talk about anything else? Yeah. Well, you can be butthurt over that if you want to, but that's right. And now there's there's a, probably a better way to say that other than insulting my mother, right? But that yeah. is true. If yeah. you are out of position, it doesn't matter how you swing it. It doesn't matter how you throw it. If you're a horse length from the steer and you're healing, you're not going to catch four in a row by both feet. It's not going to happen. Right. So you might as well focus on position first. You know, and my dad said, kick your feet. And I did, and my horse went forward. And he said, pull on the reins. And I did, and he stopped. He said, move your hand to the left and right. And I moved and he went left and right. And he said, geez, he seems to handle well. So the reason that your horse is not in position is because you're not kicking your feet and you're not moving your hands. Yeah. That's, that's right. Well, and you got to think about it like this too. That conversation happened a while ago and it's still there. No, absolutely. And right. so it might be a hard way to deliver it, but sometimes the truth is... It's harsh, and a, a lot of people, especially now, a lot of people have a hard time hearing the no, truth. No, I know, I know. Yeah, Does that you know, kill you? Uh, it, well, I mean, I, I know how it is, but, but anymore, you know, one of the things about my personality is, is that, it, it, let's say I go to a roping school, and there's 20 people there, and 19 of them are wanting to name children after me. Just think I'm the greatest thing in the world. And if there's one guy there that's upset, or doesn't like it, or I offended him somehow, it eats me up. Yeah. It just really tears me up. And then people used to send hateful things, email or something like that. Anyway, I got to where I didn't read them, good or bad. You're right. Good or bad. I stopped reading everything. And I tell people anymore, don't waste your time sending me an email. I'm not going to read it. Right. It's too upsetting to me because I tried so hard. I tried to help you. I really did. And I told you exactly what I thought, what I needed to say. And what I got in trouble doing is somebody would ride up to me and say, see this horse? Yeah. 
I raised this horse. Yeah. I owned his mother and father. Right. And I just love him. What do you think about him? I love him too. Who doesn't know the answer to that question? Anyone knows the answer. Right. But I wouldn't say that. Yeah. So what I would say was, he doesn't score. <laughs> he won't rate. You can't steer stop the steer. He lunges when he pulls. He will not face. And then he jumps up and down like a rabbit after the run. I hate him. Yeah. And they would send me a hateful letter. So anymore, I tell him, don't ask me anymore. Right. That's a trick. You're trying to trap me. Don't ask me anymore. Because I said, I'm not conditioned to think like you're wanting me to think. I have spent my life in the rodeo business. And when I catch my horse out of a pen in the morning and I'm leading him to the tack room, guess what I'm thinking? Where is the weakness in this horse? What is the thing that I need to improve on this horse to give me the best chance I can to rope against the best people in the world? That's what I think about. I can't, I can't be a fraud. I have to be honest with my horse. So when you ask me what I thought about your horse, that's what came out of my brain. That's what came out of my mouth. Right. Don't ask me anymore what I think about your horse. I'm done with that. Yeah. And it's not God. It's just one man's opinion of what I think. Well... Whether it's right or wrong, it it it's one of those things where you're you're calling it like you see it, and and to but be, I do it with be, my horse too. Yeah, you're truthful and same you're same thing I do. Yep, and and that's the the weird thing about self evaluation and being very truthful is your horse might do all of those things. Well, like let's say that's your horse and he's lunging and yeah. he's terrible. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to work on these things right. each day. Right. And you're going to try to break that horse's weaknesses But they have to be identified. And, you yep. have to identify them. Exactly. Okay, he scores bad. All right, what do I need to do? How do I need to score? Okay, good. Don't rope too fast the steers. Yep. Don't make him run so hard. Let him catch up slow. Well, I've been scoring him. That's a ridiculous thing to do on a horse that scores bad because they've been scored a million times. I got in trouble one time. They, they wrote an article about me that said, I don't believe in scoring. That's not what I said. Right. I never said that. What I said was, that's not the cure-all to horses that are bad in the box. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you can do to help a horse that's bad in the box. Scoring is part of the fix, but that's not the answer. Yep. You've been scoring him a million times. You've been scored for years, and he still scores bad. Right. Why doesn't he want to put his butt in a corner? Because he's going to have to run his guts out as soon as you drop your hand. Yep. So what do you got to do? Rope slower steers and let him catch up slowly, slowly, slowly and build his confidence. Can you ask him for his life one or two times? Yes, but not eight times in a row every day, time after time after time. Right. It doesn't work. Oh, I'm going to score him. Won't help. Well, you got to have, uh, you got to be battle tested, you know, because that's the one thing. Um, not a lot of people understand this, but... With your horses, they have run four to eight steers in a row as hard as they could go at a right. jackpot right. for a typical open roper. Sure. And they say a head horse scores. This is one of the things I always go to. They say he scores. Well, does he score on the eighth one? Right. Because that's the that's high call. Sure. That's the one that means the most. Right. And so you gotta know. You gotta have these details within your horse. Like, hey. I know this guy, he gets a little bit nervous. I might need a gate rattle right here. <laughs> sure. You know, and, and I think that's... But he believes that he's not going to have to do 18. Okay, this is it. I'll do it one more time for you. I'll do it one more time for you. But you can't do it over and over and over and over because before long he can't stand it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's too like, hard on him. Just like we said, um, you said earlier, you asked me to run 80 sprints. 
Right. Well, I might give, I'm, let's say I run 80 sprints. Right. I'm, I'm as tired as I've ever been. Right. Well, I got to do it tomorrow. Right. Pretty soon I'm quitting. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the end result is. I'm going to give is. you 80%. Yeah. 70%. And, I'm not going to give you 100. And, but. and less and less. And then I'm going to fight it more and more. And why would I want to do it? I agree. And, and so you got to either, the horses, that you got to know them. Right. And, and I think that's the self-evaluation on the horses and yourself. That's... It's a huge, huge aspect to winning, right? Right, I agree. Well, we've been getting after it for a little bit. I, I got to ask just one more, okay. one, one of my favorite. Right. I got one or two more of my favorite questions. Okay. Biggest mistake you see healers making nowadays that are that are just starting to rodeo, that kind of, they're, they're competitive and they, they're going. What do you think is the biggest mistake you see them make? Man, the biggest mistake that young healers make, I, I think, I, honestly, I think getting in the pros too early, too young, uh, not, you know, Texas, they, they cultivate winners. They have youth rodeo and they win. And then they go to high school rodeo and they win. And then they go to college rodeo and they win. They go to amateur rodeo and they win. And then when they turn pro, they're used to winning. Right. They've, they've won all their life. They, they, they've been dominant. And one of the things that I think you do wrong or young guys do wrong is I think they get into the pros when they're, when they're young. Right. They're too young and you get your head tore off. You know, I, I did that with my son, I, I, Travis. I, 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 I love rodeo. I love roping. I love horses. You know, Leo Camarillo said it best one time. He said, if I can't heal, I'll head. And if I can't head, I'll run the chute. I just want to be around it, yeah. you know, and that's the way I am. So I really, I, I did not like uh, amateur rodeo. I, I didn't, you know, there was a lot of things about amateur rodeo that I didn't, that I didn't like. I liked pro rodeo. I thought it was fair. They, they didn't cheat. They didn't have eight runs on the steers. They, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. Uh, so I couldn't wait for him to, to turn 18 and get him into, into pro rodeo. And, and he turned 18 and he got into pro rodeo and, and, and he did good. He like, he maybe like 27th and then, you know, and then 29th the year after that. And then 31st and then pretty soon he was 40th, you know, so he started getting beat up and they don't do that with fighters. And it took a long time and it, it mentally, it's a compliment to him and his mental toughness that he had to work his way through that and, and, and get used to not losing but start winning and then you know won san antonio and he made the nfr and you know won the bfi and amazing stuff that he accomplished and then he doesn't love rodeo like i do you know he he right. said hey after i made the nfr and i won all these things i'm you know I'm, I'm content raising my family and he he built a beautiful home and he has a great business where he trains horses and he does great and trains people teaches people how to rope and but he had to he had to overcome me getting beat up because if they take a young a young fighter you know oh he hasn't fought anybody but he's been beating people up he's been winning right you know and that's something i think young guys do wrong they're in such a hurry to get in the pros and listen when you tie into junior nogara he's going to tear your head off yep you know and he's healing for Caleb Driggers and you have your buddy from high school they're going to kill you. Right. You are not ready yet. I mean, they're killing 90% of the guys competing. In, Absolutely. In, right. And, you that's... know, once in a while, one young guy will make Hunter Cook made it through. 
you know, he he made it pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, one guy makes it through once in a while. Yeah, you know this Pedro. I can't say his last name, and I'm sorry I can't. Pedro, um, that that was just heading. just won the rope with I, Wesley. I can't either. I know, but Pedro, we're gonna learn I'm his sorry. name. We'll I pr- know. Soon. I promise you, yeah. we're gonna learn his name and the spelling of it. Yes, right? it'll be a lot like Junior Nogueira right, when he first right, come right, in. Right, right. No I one mean, can say his last right, name. Right, but I mean, here's Same another guy. guy that that shows up. Yep. He makes it. You know, so that's something that I think young guys do wrong. They, they they get in too soon. It's okay to go to amateur rodeo. Don't become an amateur. Know that that's just a stepping stone. But you're, you got an eye on the, I mean, no one knows who the amateur champion is, but everyone knows who the world champion is. Yeah. You know, and the world championship is a key to the kingdom. If you do the right things, the opportunities with, with a world buckle are endless. It's endless. It's just one of those things that money can't buy, right? And, and it's just, it's just a. Yeah, you can still a you can still I mean, be a nut. You can still be a nut and ruin that. But if you're if you can use your head and and capitalize on that and treat people well, you, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a it's a huge accomplishment that's very well respected. Yeah, you know, and it just right. means it means you've done something special. Yeah. You know, you've been a part of something yeah. very, very Anybody special. that I get around is the world's champ, I call him the champ. Hey, champ, how's it going? Yeah. And yeah, it's awesome. Right. So learning, you know, to lose or win, how do you look at it for young guys that are concerned with this? Because I, 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 I think that's totally right. You've seen it. You see it all the time with fighters. Yes. As soon as they get knocked out. Right. I mean... They, they just lose something right. and and it's like this they have this in them that they're just good and as soon as they get knocked off that that pedestal they they don't know how to act and it's like it took part of their their self again I, I go back to the mechanics man i go back to why i got hit with the left hand why did i get hit yeah you know what is wrong what where am i weak how did he how did he hit me with a left hook right there right you know what i mean that's what i work on it and i just work on that over and over and over because if i build a good enough defense they can't hit me with a left hook anymore just you know was it was it was it that my body is not fit enough was he hitting me in the body did he hit me in the body enough times where i drop my elbow and then i get hit with the left hook is that what happened am i not strong enough that's how i think about everything i think about it not emotionally i think about it mechanically and fundamentally you i try to think it true you don't tie winning or losing you tie how to yeah, do how did job. i get hit how did he hit me yeah how to hit how did how did he hit me yeah what happened yeah you know i gotta study the film you know, where I laid there on the ground and shook like the funky chicken. But just before that, yeah. how was I doing and how did he, how did he hit me? Right. And, uh, and I think the one thing about amateur rodeoing in, in anything or, or jackpotting amateur rodeoing and lower number ropings, you, they, the ropings aren't as tough. So yeah. you can make mistakes right. and still keep your money together and still win and still do things where... The higher the level of competition goes, the the less you can't make mistakes. You know, you right. you have very well. One of the things there. they let guys do in the amateurs is crossfire, and you know, be oh, you know, it's hard to define. No, it's not. I can sit in this room with four of the best healers in the world, and we'll watch film, and we will all agree that was early. That's early. Yeah. That's early. That's not. 
It's that that hard. Right. I mean, it's simple. But in the amateurs, they let guys get away with it, and then you're practicing illegal shots, and then you get into pros, and Harry Rose is flagging. He's going to flag you out. Yep. He's he's, he's going to recognize crossfire, and you're going to be your feelings are going to get hurt because you've never been flagged out for an illegal shot before. But in in truth, you've been taking illegal shots all summer. Yeah. It's no time, you know. Jade told me on the podcast one time he's, he's never been flagged out for crossfire. That was last year. Maybe he got flagged out right. last year, but I, I doubt it. No. Um, yeah, there, there's just things that work and things that don't work. And yeah. the, But I do agree. Amateur rodeo, and um, there's a lot of the things that I that, that can get you in trouble. You know, like, but that's where it goes back to, like, for example, here, the score might be a little bit shorter. Got to go really fast. Right. Well, that might mean when you get out there and rodeoing, riding your horse in those deeper boxes, you know, how, how are you going to do with that? And that's like, like you're saying, you know, how to hit them with a, with a jab or how to, you know, how to right. understand yourself. And uh, we amateured in when Travis, when my son was, or our son was uh, 17, uh, he needed more rodeo experience. He didn't like high school rodeo. He didn't like junior rodeo. And, and and that was a mistake right there. I should have. I, I I tell you what happened. They had a they had a thing in California called NorCal Junior Rodeo thing, and he and he went to them. I think he went to eight of them. And he won every one of them. He won their buckle every single time. Right. And he told me he said, Dad, what are we doing here? Yeah. He said, We're in the trailer studying film, and these kids are out in the parking lot playing tag. <laughs> We're killing these people. He said, well, This is ridiculous. Yeah. I, let, this I isn't fun. No, no, no. Let's go home. And I should not. I should have said absolutely not. We are going to devastate these people. Yeah. We're going to win every single buckle, and we're going to give it to crippled children. That's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to win, and we're going to win, and we're going to win. But I bought into it, and I said, "Okay, you're right. We're taking advantage of people that's not trying like we are, and let's leave here." Well, then he didn't like high school rodeo because they had to, they had to wear their vest in the parking lot, and they have some silly rules that I that, that yeah. I didn't agree with. But I'm sure they're based on something. So he didn't have rodeo experience. So I said, man, we got to go someplace in amateur rodeo. And I didn't know anything about amateur rodeo, but I knew Adam Rose had been to a lot of amateur rodeos. And so I called him and we went to Missouri and went to amateur rodeos. And they would have special slack for six guys on Sunday after the rodeo was over. And it would be the fourth run on the steers right. or the fifth run on the steers. That's, that's not healthy for you. Yeah. And they would win first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. And that slack after the entire rodeo was over, you know what the heck? You know, so that that's what that's when you crossed into becoming an amateur. That's not pro. Right. That doesn't happen at Reno, Nevada. They're not going to get the fifth run on the steers at Reno. Yep. So it's more or less getting your feet wet, but understanding how to not not necessarily get beat all the time. Yeah, don't, no. Don't. I'm an eight healer, right? If I decide I'm going to rodeo, I want to heal for a living and don't knock heads in open ropes every single day against right. Junior. And right. Because you... He's going to kill you. Yeah. I'm right. Gonna, it's going to be a rough day for yeah, me. Tough, tough. Days. Tough life. Rough day. Tough life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But, right. uh, but why not go to, why not go to the... Why not go... Uh, a five plus header is a good header. Yeah. A I, six is a really good header. Right. Man, oh man. You know, the 15... You know, that's, you know, why not go there and capitalize on that and win at the jackpots and get used to winning? That's you know, don't get your head tore off, man. 
I, I, and I, I tell you another thing too that it, it, find out where you belong and then fight and then compete and rope. You know, Custy Amato, who trained Mike Tyson, and unfortunately, Cus died just before Mike won the world championship. Yeah. But, but Cus is who trained him. Cus who got him out of the orphanage and who kept him sane. It's on my uh, list of books to read. Uh, yeah, and then when, when yeah. Cus died, and then he started making bad decisions, and, you know, away he went. Uh, but uh, pro fighters fight twice a year. Custy Amato had Mike Tyson fight once a month. Yeah. He fought once a month and he said, you got to get used to fighting. Right. You got to get used to what it's like to be the headliner in the fight and come out the last guy that fights at 1130 at night. You got to get used to that. Yeah. You know, and Travis Graves competes all the time. He's Dustin Esquiza goes constantly. Yep. He goes to the 12 slide, and if they won't let him head, he'll heal. But he's competing all the time. Levi Lord's competing all the time. Them guys are, Cody Snow, constantly going to jackpots and mixing it up right. and fighting, you know, competing, not just practicing, competing. Travis Craze called me one time. He said, How's your practice go? I said, Great. He said, We're all stars at home, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> pretty good thing to say yeah that hits hard for me yeah, no i know yeah. but you got to get out there and that's something as you get older i, I don't want to go to the 12 slide and i'm not going to stay up and i'm not going to go to north side you know i'm not going to go in there to count you know all that stuff and but again that's hurting you i'm not going to do that if your desire is strong enough you would right you would do it and i think the the key to it is the competing the fighting yeah Knowing what it's like to get hit, right, but not getting killed, right, and you've got to ride that line between getting your butt kicked and not getting killed, and that's like the art form. Um, it, it's it's different though when it, like today I was in I had some guys here at the training center and we were helping them with their rope and well there's a guy who comes over his name's Jim Jim Fletcher's a wonderful man and he's a good hitter he's a five plus hitter he's got some really nice horses. So we're in the building, and Travis is in there. He's heading, and it, it really wasn't fair to him because he was on a horse that was a little bit goey, and he, he rides a lot of outside horses. But Jim Fletcher's got a good horse, and I've got a really nice horse, a five-year-old that I really like that, that belongs to my wife that we trained for her. But he's a good horse, and I'm heading great. I mean, I'm drilling him. Right. And Jim said, let's match. Let's go. I waved it off two in a row. <laughs> <laughs> haven't waved it off all day long didn't i did not miss yesterday not one time yeah but as soon as we said match now it's a different element your mind shifts how how could i possibly lose yeah i lost don't want to lose no yeah. and he, he, he beat me yep he beat me and i i wish he wouldn't have said match because i was beating him yeah i was winning right <laughs> he didn't know it but we were having a contest and i was beating him yeah but as soon as we said well let's match that I missed. What happened? So you said, that's what happens to you. You're not matching enough and you're not going enough and you're not competing enough, but not above your head. Don't get your head tore off, but go to the 12 slide, you know, mix it up. Find out when they all went out, you know, the Texans are fixing to leave here before long. Right. They're going to go to Reno, man, get after these guys now, Yep. you know, find getting that, getting that journal and every little rodeo that you can get to go to. You know, because you can win six, eight, we'll win something. Yeah. And well, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the, the number system, right? Yes. Like, like we were just talking love about, it. I love healing in them 13s and 14s. There, there you go. Cause I know what it takes to win. Right. I have to catch four steers by two feet. Yeah. 
that's all no, I have no, to do. Number system has been the greatest thing ever for roping, ever. Well, and, and that's, you start building feel for the ropings. You start building like, okay, we're long on this one, but we know we can catch. Right. And then the roping might be twice that size or bigger, and you, you're long in that first one. You're like, catching, you got to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then you start learning, okay, this is by, I miss that steer doing this, and you can go home, work on that. And that's how, that's how you build, and you can self-evaluate and look at it properly in, in how to win. So it's just X's and O's. Like, okay, this is what I'm weak at. This is what it re- is required to win in this roping. And then you start winning in that roping, they'll raise your number. Sure. So you got the next roping. And as soon as you start, and the pretty soon your number is going to be high enough that you'll, you'll be with Cody Snow and yeah. Junior and them guys, and you'll, you'll get to figure it out. Right, right. And, and that's where it's like there's that really odd, it's kind of this w- odd line because those guys go and compete a ton, and it's fast here in Texas. Yes. And incredible yeah it's 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 wild how, how it is but these guys are so good you, yeah and and you can study them and learn a lot yes and then it's just like what you did when you were a kid rope with the best guys and, right. and try to be an asset to them and and there's little ways and and now you can study it too you can watch so much film and you can pick up i think on you got to stay within yourself though man i think you got to go over there to robertson hill last week and i mean i'm 12 8 on two and i mean you just got to keep knocking them down you can't you get, can't get caught up you can't just oh man i gotta be five you can't press yeah you know that if the next one if the next one is going to be seven flat be seven flat because you're going to be five three on, there's a good one coming yeah stay within yourself rope the steers don't get ahead of yourself and see what you win play the cards finish the course right you know don't be nine don't be nine, but don't don't try to throw in a switch if you can't. Well, yeah, you have a run. You stay in right. within J- yourself. Jake Barnes, Jake Barnes is an absolutely believer in that. You you have to have a run. Yep. You've got to be able to make your run whenever you have to. Yeah. I look at that. Like, for me, I have a run. Put a gun to my head. Right. The run i got to make. I'm confident. Right. I know what my run. Like, I've got to turn a steer. Sure. I know what I'm doing. Right. I know exactly how it's going to go. Um mm-hmm. Right, and and that's and then you build around that, and I think that's it's hard because you don't get the opportunity if you're well healing, especially in the higher number of ropes and the opens and stuff because you might not get the turns and you don't right. really know what it's like. So, Walt, thanks. I I know we got a long podcast in here today. <laughs> um, you know, before we get off, obviously, I mean, you do a ton of clinics. You travel around. Yeah. Where do we find you? I know you just not responded to emails, so how about that? com. You know, that's how you can find me. Um, you know, we still do a lot of clinics. I'm, I'm leaving for Kentucky in the morning. Uh, have, we still have big schools. The training center here in uh, Stephenville where Travis and I both teach out of here. Uh, you know, that's that's we, we do a lot of stuff here privately. Semi-private is what we call it. Right. You know, we take five or six people at a time, three or four people at a time. You know, that's something that we do. We have a indoor and an outdoor and all the sleds and all the stuff here. So we like here. We have fishing ponds and a beautiful place and a clubhouse that we can entertain people in and all that stuff. So well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you doing the podcast with me. And uh, yeah, I, I don't you. do a lot of this, this kind of stuff anymore. But I, uh, Travis Graves told me you were a good guy. And so I said, OK, I'll do it. Well, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of it. I really this is this is probably this is my favorite thing to do is these yeah, podcasts. Awesome. No, um, it's interesting. Yeah, because it's uh, you know, you get this chance to talk about things and it's just a conversation, you know, and right. and I everyone's so different and their stories are so different yeah. and, and it just makes everybody's it got a story. It's always interesting. 
Yeah, and and I think the other thing for me is I don't really do them for anyone else because I like looking at it. Like I said, I, I love roping, but right. I love these other things, right. and, and I have a plan with it and how it's going to work. Yeah, but you decided a direction to take, and you've, oh, yeah. you've, you've turned it into a business. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. That's awesome. You know, yeah. you're, you're winning. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm do, I love what I'm doing. Right. Every day I love what I'm doing. Yeah, right. I think it's pretty amazing. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks.